Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You are now listening to the hottest true crime podcast in the streets. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder, the Equal Opportunity True Crime Comedy Podcast. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. Oh, yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Yeah, man, I'm the mailman, can't you tell, man? Gonna post it. What up? Fran, how you doing, man? Doing pretty good. What up, man? How you feeling? Not much, man. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it is unseasonably cool. I like it. But it is it's weird. Even for April, I know it's April showers and everything, but it's just been cold and and rainy. Yeah. And that's not very fun. I usually like the spring even with the rain. It's a little warm, but the cold is you know, yeah, you I hate when it's these in between seasons because your body does this adjustment thing. Mm-hmm. So in the wintertime, if it was sixty degrees, that's beautiful. Yeah. I wear shorts in a in December when it's sixty degrees. But when it's April and it's sixty degrees, it's freezing. Yeah. It's like I don't know how the I don't know if it's mental or body. I don't know what it is. I don't know how you, how the brain works. You know mm-hmm. that that air starts feeling real chilly. Yeah, <laughs> it's really crazy how that works. The way you know science. Yeah, you know. So, uh, but other than that, you know, life's good. You know, I have a couple of things I want to talk about eventually that are a little heavy. But you know, let's start off on a light note. The Oscars are next week, friend. I know yeah. how excited you are for that. That's really like your big I'm thing. Static. So I figure. Um, why not play a little game that's become, you know, famous around here? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have some of the best pictures lined up mm-hmm. here in front of my face. And mm-hmm. I just would like to ask you, like, you know, what do you think this this movie's about? Okay. You know, yeah, I, think sure. that, I think that you're an insightful guy. Your brain goes interesting places. Mm-hmm. So I just would like to just throw some titles at you, see where you okay. see where your head lands. Maybe. Okay. Uh, best picture nominees. Okay. okay. Uh, first, a movie I saw. I loved it. Yeah. Great film. Uh, it's called The Sound of Metal. I've seen that movie. Okay, great. You you seen it? Yeah. Like actually. Yeah. So this movie is about a rock band, I believe. Mm. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. A rock band. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think this movie is about a rock band that that was the guy that was in this band left from the band Kiss, right? Oh, like in the movie, this is it's like a biopic. Yeah. Okay. So he left from Kiss. Like Gene Simmons, that guy, or another guy? one of those the guy with the long tongue. Him. That's Gene Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. him. Yeah, okay. that's Gene Simmons. So he left. He left Kiss, right? Sure. Because his his drummer cheated on his drummer's. No, his drummer. His drummer had sex with his wife. Wow. Okay. When they was on tour back in uh, '68. 
right? Sure. No, it wasn't 68. It was 78. 69. Oh, okay. It was 78. Okay. Okay. Yeah, keep it appropriate, man. I'm sorry. It was was in 78, right? Uh Uh-huh. So he was like, okay, I'm leaving this band because you you slept with my wife. Sure, reasonable. So they left. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, what is his name again? Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons, right? Mm -hmm. So his last name ends with an S. Yes. So they just, they changed the band name to Kiss with one S, right? So Um, he he created this band called, what was the movie called again? (laughs) (laughs) Sound of Metal. Come on, man, I'm trying to tell the story here. I'm sorry, The Sound of Metal. He created the band called Metal, right? But. Gene Simmons did this? Yes. So Kiss is now with one S. One S. And now Gene Simmons has his own band called Metal. Metal, right? Yeah. But with it, what happened was uh-huh. they stopped using drums and guitars. Out of spite. Out of spite. Got it, okay. So he was like, we're not going to do that because this is a new age, right? Uh-huh. So he got a new drummer who started playing the drums on pots and pans, right? Oh, yeah, okay. Uh-huh. You with me? I'm with you, man, all okay. the way. Mm-hmm. But he gave up his guitar and he got a banjo instead. Okay, right? yeah. To be continued because that's... That's, that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's the part. The, this, so this is like a multiple film type of thing. And it's a cliffhanger. It, yep. We're going to leave it there. We don't know how their first show goes or anything like that. No. Okay. The Sound of Metal. That's not what that movie is about at all. Okay. Uh, you had uh, you had me with the band. There is a band in it. It is. And that's okay. uh, that's all you got. And, uh, you know, uh, I was Pots know. Pans in it? In the, in the kitchen. Yeah, I'm sure okay. there was a kitchen See? scene. Hey, yeah, hey man, yeah, I'm not too know. far. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know what, man? I'm not connecting the dots that you're connecting. So if I really went to deep, went deep on it, I'm sure there's a lot of similarities between your Sound of Metal and the of Sound course. of Metal that is nominated for an Oscar. Uh, up next, we have um, Promising Young Woman. Okay. Great film, by the way. Promising Young Woman. Got you. So this movie is about young African-American women. Okay. Who want to become lawyers, doctors. Multiple women that want to become lawyers and doctors? Yeah. Okay. All African-American and young black women. Okay, yeah. What is it called again? Promising Young Woman. Promising Young Woman. Mm-hmm. So what happened was they dealt with a lot of adversity in high school uh-huh. because they lived in a a uh, primarily white neighborhood. Sure, okay. Segregation, racism type. Yes. Thing. Okay. So what happened was their parents, they all lived in like a, they all, it was like the ghetto part of this, this white community, right? Got it, okay. So their fa- all the black families lived in this area. Lived in this area and was close. Got they, it. They, they kept in touch. Keep each other barbecues, safe. Barbecues, cookouts, and whatnot. Yeah, mm-hmm. So what they did was the parents was like, hey, look, we need to come together mm-hmm. and we need to make sure these young women grow up to be successful. Sure, yeah, that's very beautiful. Even though they had to deal with all that adversity with going to yeah. white high schools, mm-hmm. white elementary schools, and white middle schools. Yeah. So what we have to do is open up a business, huh? a black business, so we can raise funds for our children uh, yeah. to go to college to make sure they become Promising young women, young black women. Oh, that's it. That's the. That's it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, uh, no, not at all. All right. But beautiful story. I'm sure you could get Kiki Palmer in that. It'd be a great. Very. What was that? Oh, I'm sorry. I know it is. You know, it's a very beautiful story. You just. It's not promising young woman. Okay. Um, is black women in it? No. All right. One. One is Laverne Cox is in it. Yeah. Sure. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But not at all what that is about. Hmm. Uh. Up next, we'll do a couple more. Let's see. We got uh. The father. All right, so this one is about um, a young kid named Keith, right? <laughs> okay, <Was> yeah. <laughs> what, man? No, it was very specific. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Keith with an F. Keith with an F. Yeah. Like K-E-E-F? Yeah. Okay, got it, Keith, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
He was raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Sure. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um. So his father, his father passed away when he was when he was five. Okay. And he had to grow up with just him and his single mom. Sure. You know, raising him by herself, working all these hours. Yeah, relatable story. Having yeah. multiple jobs mm-hmm. to put food on the table. He also has other young brothers. Mm. And what happened was, when he hit fifteen, mm-hmm. he started going to he started going through some struggles mentally and like depression and stuff like that. Sure, because he missed his dad. He lost his dad at a young age. Powerful, yeah. So what happened was his mom mm-hmm. was like, "Hey, yeah, when you turn sixteen, I got something to give you." Right. Oh, okay. It was a gift from his dad mm. that was an earpiece. Right. Okay. So his dad was, uh, um. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, he works for NASA, right? Okay. So he's very smart, very intelligent, very intelligent guy. Sure. Okay. He made the special earpiece for his son when he turned sixteen, right? Uh huh. So his mom said, "Look, I got got this earpiece for you." So he thought it was like regular headphones. He's like, "Why am I taking me one AirPod sixteen headphones?" Right? Uh huh. So his mom was just like, "Just use it. Say the magic words, and something special will happen." Right? Okay. So. One day he was like, man, I want this shit. So he threw it. And then one day when he was just chilling, was like just going through the motions, his depression was kicking in and whatnot. Uh-huh. He went and got the earpiece, sure. put it in his ear, tapped it three times, uh-huh. said the special words that his mom told him to say. Which are? Which are, um, I miss you, dad. Wow, it's very um, emotional. Got, you got to say it three times. Okay. And then this hologram of his dad pops up. Whoa, okay. And then he helps him get through life. The hologram of his dad. Yep. Uh, I actually haven't seen that movie. So, uh, yeah, it, I guess that's I'm telling you that's what happened that. in the movie. Okay, sorry, my bad. Well, that sounds beautiful. Shout out to uh, John Louis Levy for his yeah, performance I, in that. I sold it. I sold it to the director, whoever the director is. Okay, cool. Well, shout out to that. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, earpiece uh, hologram. Yep. Great. No, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do the last one. We're gonna do the trial of the Chicago Seven. What do you think the trial of the Chicago Seven is about? This was about this was uh, a part two of the Last Dance or Michael Jordan, right? Okay. So what happened was so it's a docu series. No, this is a movie. Okay. Like, we'll switch this into a movie. Right? Okay, got it. So what happened was Michael Jordan had a cousin named Benjamin. Benjamin Jordan, right? Benjamin Jordan. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think I'm familiar with him. And he had another cousin mm-hmm. named um, um, Sharif Jordan. Sharif Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Michael Jordan was on to his fifth championship, right? Yeah, killing he, it. He killing it. So he was like, went to the the, the GMs, was like, hey man, Lou, we need some, we need some more bench depth, right? Yeah, uh huh. He was like, hey, sign my, my cousin. I need you, sign my cousin, my cousin Benjamin. What was the other guy's name? Sh- and Sharif. Right? <laughs> and Sharif, yeah, Benjamin and Sharif. So they they did they did a scouting trip. It was like, okay, we are gonna sign these guys out of sure. college. Mm-hmm. Jordan at this time could do whatever he, he could was, do. Every hire who, it was, hire it, was, it, was it was basically his his his, his franchise. Yes. Uh huh. So they signed him. Mm-hmm. Sharif so Benjamin. this movie was about the the the, the sixth and seventh man that was coming off the bench, yeah, to help the Bulls win their sixth championship. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, so like they were on a trial basis, like the team was giving them a trial, like tri- a trial run. Yeah, that's exactly got what I it. Said. And it's seven because that's how many people. That's how deep they went on the bench. They went yep. seven guys deep. Yeah, when they played teams. Yep, with Sharif and Benjamin Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh yeah, no, that that's not what that is. That's about. not what that's about. No, that's not what that's okay. about at all. Um uh it's about like a trial, like a court trial. That's but, what I uh, said. That's exactly what I said. 
They gave him a trial on the basketball court. That's exactly I said those words. Fair enough, man. Um, that was great. Um, interesting movies. None of them are what the thing was, but you know, uh-huh. great guesses, man. I think great, I did a great job. Fantastic guesses. Oh, I think you did a great job as well. I would totally agree with that. Um, uh, before I get into some somber news, I would like to continue just with some uplifted type of energy that goes into my story that's coming out later. Uh, Netflix has released a documentary about Baltimore. Uh, it was directed by a, a, a talented woman named TT the Artist. The name of the documentary is called Dark City Beneath the Beast Beneath the Beat. Mm. It is an absolute love letter to Baltimore. I have not seen a documentary about Baltimore that took this much care and effort to display the creative the creativity within this city and not just a, a shaky camera in people's faces like tell me about how dangerous it is here. Is this about art? It's about art, it's about the Baltimore club music scene, it's about okay. um you know the loss of K Swift, it's about hmm. you know just how much talent is here. It's about is she King- from here? K-Swift? No, no, no. What? I know Oh, K-Swift, TT, the artist? Yeah. yeah uh, TT, the artist is from Florida, but she lived here for 12 years. Okay. She was, you know, she was uh, coming up in the scene, the Baltimore club music scene. Mm. Uh, she's kind of made a name for herself within that scene, and she hopes to kind of revive Baltimore club music because it really took a big hit after K-Swift died. Yeah. Um, and it really pays homage to just Baltimore in this really beautiful way, and it touches on some things about how – there's this really powerful art form that is so unique to Baltimore and could help young kids stay out of trouble, but the funding just isn't there. Like there aren't power centers like there used to be. There aren't community centers for these kids to like, you know, get their aggression out, dance, have a good time. Um, It's just not really being funded properly, but there are people within this documentary that are, you know, taking on that responsibility and they might not have the funding, but they have the desire to want to help. They have the love for the city and for the kids. So they create these spaces for these kids to be able to, you know, have, achieve something, win a contest. The King of Baltimore was birthed from this kind of idea. The Queen of the, there's also a Queen of Baltimore competition um, where the, you know, the best, you know, uh, Baltimore club dancer wins the competition. Yeah. Um, One of the guys that won, I went to school with. Yeah. It's a very big competition. I mean, I I have not, I've never been, I, you know, you know, I'm not a dancer. That's never been my bag. You know, we've have, have friends that used to do that stuff, but that just was never my vibe. Yeah. Um, but I've always respected it. I've always loved it. And I've always felt like it was very unique to Baltimore. Like when you see Baltimore club dance moves, you just kind of know you when you hear Baltimore club music, you just kind of know everything, you know, it's all one thing, you know, it's very unique to hear. So I, like I said, I've never seen a documentary just have so much care and respect for the city mm-hmm. and it not be like trauma porn or about violence or police sirens and danger and blood and all that stuff. It It was a purely, artistic vision Mm. by tt the artist there were these vignettes and performances i don't know when you know there's there's beautiful this beautiful like performance in front of the lexington market there's this beautiful performance in downtown and these these really like kind of music video vignettes uh that display the creativity and the dance forms from baltimore and the art on the walls and you know and just so much stuff i thought it was it was the most beautiful love letter I've ever seen to Baltimore. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was like the opposite of The Wire. You know, if you watch Dark City Beneath the Beat, whatever feeling you have when you watch The Wire and you're not from here, it's like the opposite. So shout out to TT the artist. Shout out to everybody that was involved in, you know, in, in doing after school programs for kids and 
trying to help whatever way that they can. I thought it was a beautiful documentary. I recommend anybody that is, you know, has questions about Baltimore, never been here, has preconceived notions about Baltimore. Check out Dark City Beneath the Beat, man. It's a beautiful documentary. And uh, I think it's the most beautiful documentary I've ever seen about Baltimore. Now, moving on to a little more somber news. I don't really want to get too deep into this shit because every week this shit is happening. I, you know, I, I don't really have a ton of words left for it. You know, I, I was, you know, what's fucked up is I was, you know, you know, we've been doing the Patreon contest. I'm trying to make these little scavenger hunts for people to, you know, podcast moments. Mm-hmm. Like, what what did we say about this or whatever? Um, I went back and I'm listening to episodes and it's like, Every other episode that I turn on, it's like, you know, they the cops shot this person. This yeah. person got murdered by this. This happened. Can you? Did you hear about this? Yeah. There was a mass shooting at this. Yeah. This every ep- it's like every episode I went through to try to find something funny or memorable or whatever. Every episode starts off with us being like, and rest in peace to this person. Or yep. the, there was a mass shooting at this uh, FedEx. Or there was the police shot this kid. And the, so um, I just don't have a ton of words. I think feel like we've said everything that needs to be said. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to say is rest in peace to Dante Wright. He was 20 years old. Um, and what happens a lot is, you know, you, it's funny, like you never see, like this country hates Michael Vick, right? For killing dogs or whatever he was, whatever, how, whatever his involvement was in that situation. And one thing you never see is like, um, they never go back and they're like, well, all the dogs were pit bulls, and you know what they say about pit bulls? They can be dangerous, and they were dog fighting dogs. They could be dangerous dogs. Maybe, 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 you know, maybe they had to, had it coming since they were dangerous dogs. You know, uh, you never see that, right? It's just like fuck Michael Vick. Those are dogs. We love dogs. That's wrong. He is wrong. He paid, but he, you know, he went and he did his sentence. He paid his time. That is wrong. What he did, but nobody's ever like, man, those dogs could be dangerous to society. Why, you know, maybe they did the right thing. That never comes up. But you know, um. These kids get killed and they pull up they pull up pictures of them with weapons and their rap sheets and they're this and you know they deserve to die. Maybe if they were good people by our standards they would still be alive, you know. And my argument to that is that police officer knew nothing about Dante Wright when they pulled them over. They made a mistake. And that's 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 established. So why is it that this guy's the mistake? She reached for her Taser. gun. Oh, a gun instead of a taser. Instead of her taser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So yeah. his character. I thought you meant like, like they pulled him over for the wrong, wrong reason. No, I mean like, they pulled him over because he had an air freshener hanging in his window. Yeah. And then I guess they ran his thing and they found out that he had an warrant. outstanding warrant. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. This is this is confirmed. But I've heard stories about because of the pandemic, they sent his his request to court to the wrong house. So if you don't show up to court. You get a you get a bench warrant put out on you, yeah. but if you never get the thing, if some some clerical error, you know, so he's riding around not even knowing that he had a a warrant, and now you're in this thing where it's escalated from air fresheners in the window. You're in the city where the Derek Chauvin trial is happening, and now there's three police cars around you. Now they're pulling you out of your car. Now it's, I, I need to get the fuck fucked, you know. So this idea that it's like, well, if he would have just complied. He would still be alive today. He was running for. He was trying to run for his life. That is the you know that's the part that is why you know it's this idea that it's like well he ran because he's a bad person. It's not possible that he feared for his life the way that the police get to say, because if you if you're as a police officer that's like the golden get out of jail free card. I feared for my life. I thought he was going to do something to me, so I murdered him. But that kid doesn't get to go. They were grabbing on me. They had guns out. I feared for my life, so I tried to get away. And maybe de-escalate the situation, get to my mom, get to whatever. 
you don't get that same liberty. It's like comply or die, right? So, but but my point is in this, and then I got to get to another one because they happen a week apart, right? Um, the police officer made a mistake. So if we can't even have enough accountability to say this police officer fucked up, admitted in the video, oh, I thought I had my taser out, I shot him, shit. If people can still defend that, then there's just no hope in reforming police. 26 years on the force, and you don't know the difference in a, in a, in a situation that you deem to be tense or whatever, you don't know the difference between your taser and your, and your gun. Isn't this supposed to change? Didn't he come up with some, uh, something new to hold police accountable for stuff like that? Like, Who knows? Because I mean, that's how it is for, like, I'm not saying this is anything, you know, uh, the same as the police uh, police enforcement, but I'm saying that, you know, when if something happens to us at work, like we get an accident, Sure. We did not help responsible to pull the postal service. Is. Okay. That's not how it is in the postal department. Like if, if when this happens, the police office is not being held accountable. The the department is. Uh, I don't know if anybody's being held accountable mm. because this person got to resign. Then, I mean, but he's you not know? being held accountable though. That's not as of now. I don't, I think she's being charged with second degree manslaughter, I, yeah. I believe, but I don't know how that's going to play out. I just think it's crazy that she gets to resign and no longer even be, considered a police officer like she this ha- she she worked as a police officer for 26 years and she just gets to resign as if her training and the people that she works with don't also hold some 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 brunt of responsibility for what happened on that day you mm-hmm. know i just think it's crazy you know this this mom and this dad lose their kid and the best you can tell them is oh my bad i fucked up whoops yeah. you know that kid's dead man he's not ever coming back so an accident is just unacceptable and then now we move on to uh, an even crazier story to me, which, but again, people are, are defending the situation, right? This kid in Adam Toledo in Chicago, uh, police get a phone call that is two kids. They heard gunshots or something of the sort. Police arrive on the scene. They start chasing the kid down. Uh, let me backtrack before we get to it. Cause we haven't seen, we didn't see the video until this week, two weeks ago, they said the kid turned around on the cop, had a gun on the gun in his hand. And the kid, the cop shot the kid. He's 13 years old. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the mayor came out and said that. The, the district attorney came out and said that that was the police's stance in the situation. So they deemed it to be perfectly fine. The, the police officer was, like, ju- justified two weeks ago. They said it was fine. Like, he, ha- he had to do that because they feared for his life. But in Chicago, they made a rule that within 60 days of a police officer shooting somebody, you have to release the body cam footage. Mm. So the word came out that the body cam footage was coming out. Chicago releases a statement to the public saying, hey, listen, I just want the city to know, hey, guys, calm down. Like, don't do anything crazy. But the video is going to come out and uh, the district attorney is now saying I might have misspoke on what the the video shows because I hadn't seen the video yet. So it's already letting you know the shit is probably this shit is probably crazy. Yeah. The video drops at like, let's say, three o'clock on Wednesday. It shows the police officer arriving on the scene, chasing the kid down. The kid has a gun in his hand, but he runs down the alleyway, you know, thinking he's 13, thinking he can escape the cop, doesn't want to get in trouble, whatever. The kid knows he's not going to get away, so he runs and he ends up at a, uh, like, there's a fence that he's running along, but he ends up at a gap in the fence. Mm-hmm. So he leans over and he tosses the gun into the into the space. Mm-hmm. And then the cop says, turn around. He turns around with, he turns around with his hands up, and the argument for the police uh, union representative is, the cop had an eighth of a second to decide whether or not this kid had a gun in his hand, and he shot him the center mass in his chest and killed him on the scene. Now, 
I know from just watching a couple of like police monitoring videos, some police training videos, police are trained that if they see a threat, they dump the clip or at least uh, is multiple shots fired. If they feel like that's why when, you know, like uh, the Breonna Taylor situation, uh, the Laquan McDonald situation, other situations, when these cops feel like, oh, that kid's it's me, it's him or me. They shoot nonstop. Right. So this cop shot this kid once and knew he fucked up and then tried to help him on the scene. Now I'm not saying this cop killed this kid cause, cause he hates Brown people or whatever. And I understand that he, he rendered aid the best that he could in the situation, but he still murdered this kid. Mm. And what's happening on the news is now it's like, well, the kid had a Latin Kings tattoo when he was this. How would he see that? This is all it's after bro. Mm. It's what they do. It's like, don't know, feel sorry for this kid. Yeah. Don't, 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 uh, hate this cop. Don't whatever, because this kid was bad. He deserved to be dead. If his parents were this, if he wasn't such a piece of shit, he would still be alive. And it's interesting when you, when you see that done to a 20 year old or you see that done to Eric Garner, who was like 40 years old, it's, it's all gross, but you understand it. You understand it a little bit more. It's like they're adults. They have more of a history. They, they can pull stuff from them, whatever, whatever. They're going to do that. But a 13-year-old kid getting murdered on the street and then to see people coming out and being like, well, hey, man, the, the kid had a gun, you know, so fuck him, you know. The, kid, the cop could have shot him a bunch of times, but he only shot him once, luckily. So it's just, it's just a weird stance to take. Um, it's really fucking sad that that kid, 13 years old, and nobody has nobody asks the questions like, how does a 13 year old get a gun in a city where guns are illegal? You know, people always want to bring up this statistic about guns, uh, cities with the highest, with the most strict gun laws have the most gun violence, mm-hmm. but nobody talks about the fact that people who can legally buy guns in other states are buying guns in mass. And selling them on the black market to people. Nobody talks about that. That the fact that guns are illegal in Chicago, but they're not illegal in Indiana. You know, so you can go to Indiana and be the king of the black market gun trade, drive to a drive to Chicago and sell a gun to a 13-year-old kid for $25. Yeah. You know? Everybody just wants to go like this kid has a this kid had a gun. How did the kid get a gun? Why did the kid need a gun? You know, how do we fix those problems? Instead of just demonizing a child. I've never seen this before, bro. I think they tried some shit like this with Tamir Rice. He had an airsoft gun. He's playing around, whatever. Being a, being a kid. Doing stupid shit. Throw eggs at people. Do this, whatever. He was doing some shit like that. Cop rolled down on this kid and shot him at the playground. Asked no questions. Pulled right up and shot him, you know. And then the next thing is you have to media spin it. Well, he shouldn't have had a gun. Where were his parents? Kids shouldn't be out there playing around with guns. It's dangerous. These cops got to make split seconds decisions and all this kind of stuff. Instead of, I just never hear empathy. I never hear like, oh yeah, this cop fucked up. You know, the kid had his hands up. He had a gun, but he threw the gun. He put it, he complied. Throw, get, put your hands up, put his hands up. The cop fucked up in a split second. And you want to try to tell people to calm down after seeing a video of a kid getting fucking clapped in the chest. I understand the arguments of, the kid had a gun and, and it's dangerous. I understand what I understand how that could be something that is brought up, but demonizing a child 
instead of asking, well, why would why does this kid need it? Why does this kid's neighborhood is he does he live in a neighborhood where he feels like he needs to have a gun? Mm-hmm. How do we fix that situation? Why was this kid out late at night? Why doesn't this kid have some after school programs in his school that could keep him distracted? It's, it's I was thinking about this the other day, right? It's like you know, police station after police station after police station, California, Detroit, New York, Baltimore, whatever. It's like they all follow the same kind of playbook. Just like if you go Baltimore, Detroit, Los Angeles, whatever, when you go to the bad neighborhoods, they all look the same. So Martin Luther King Boulevards, liquor stores, a gun stores, a pawn shop. It's like it's these two systems that no matter what region of the country you're in, they still live by the same kind of rules, which tells you it's systemic, right? But instead of trying to solve these systemic issues, you just you just you demonize the end result instead of trying to go back to the starting point and fix it from there. Mm. Because there will be another 13-year-old kid with a gun in these in a, in a Chicago, in a Baltimore, in a Los Angeles, in a Detroit, in a fucking South Dakota, you know, whatever. There will be 13-year-old kids with guns because this country has a fucking affinity and a love and an addiction to guns. So they're everywhere. There's so many guns in this country. So there's going to be another kid with a gun. How do we fix this as to how do we stop the black market situation? I just found out about these fucking ghost guns. Have you heard about these? Mm -hmm. You can buy the parts of a gun online and put it together and put it together. No serial number. You don't have to buy from a store. You don't have to have a a, a license to to buy it or you don't have to follow. You don't have to follow any of the rules. You can just buy the parts of the gun, put it together and have a working gun where no, it's not traceable. That's crazy. And, um, and those are flooding the black market now. So already the people were buying guns legally and then selling them on the black market at these conventions and things like that. People breaking into gun stores, stealing the guns. Now they have guns that aren't even traceable at all and selling those to people on the black market. Yeah. So this country, there's going to be another kid who's like, man, people are dying in my neighborhood. Imagine being a kid in Chicago, 17 kids died over the weekend, gang violence, whatever. Are you going to not have a gun on you? I don't, you know, it's like, it's like we can't live in this society. We live in two Americas, bro. The kids up in the suburbs of Chicago don't live by the same rules as the, as the kids on the south side of Chicago. Yeah, It's not the same. You can't be like, why aren't these kids playing football or basketball or whatever? One, those programs aren't available as much in this place. Two, these kids are fighting for their life. Their, their parents are dealing with addiction, having to work a couple jobs to keep the lights on. Their parents might not be home as much. So they're left to the streets where the streets are just chaos and danger. Yeah. So that's why this kid had a gun on him. Yeah. It's like the basketball courts. They take in the inner the cities. They take the court. They take the hoops down. They take the rims. Then they don't want kids congregating. They don't want kids having something to distract themselves. They think that causes too much riffraff. So it's like okay. So one fight happens at a basketball court. Even something like a stabbing. Some some bad stuff has happened at basketball courts. Yeah, I'm familiar sure. with that stuff. Yeah. But it's providing an outlet for something for these kids to have a distraction. And if that's the case, if you're gonna tear down the basketball court, the the public rims at least offer them something like a pal center or, or a boys and girls club to where they can be supervised mm-hmm. and play basketball, have some structure, have some mentorship or something. You can't just go take the rims down, close the football fields, take down the bas- the baseball diamonds, close all that shit down and just leave them with nothing. Yeah. School closes, they go home. There's no after school programs, no music. No- it's just So these kids are out on the streets all hours of the night. They have, they have nothing. These kids, they have nothing, bro. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, man. I, you know, I'm not saying, like, open up after-school programs and everything changes, but you can't just keep blaming the end result of a systemic problem 
as opposed to going back to the root of the problem and trying to start from there. Instead of giving these police officers tanks and, 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 and super guns, and these, I see these cops go to these situations where these, there's protests and civil unrest or whatever. They got helmets and, and, and tanks and, and padded armor and all this type of shit. It looks like a war zone. Yeah. But you don't train them like soldiers. These cops out here out of shape, can't fight, don't know how to aim, but you give them assault weapons and padded armor and tanks. And if you're going to, if you're going to give them that kind of response, if you're going to give them the ability to kill people without accountability for the most part, then you gotta, you gotta hold police higher. I say this, I mean, I, I don't know where I stand on abolish police or whatever. I've read some stuff. I still don't know where I stand on, but here's what I know for sure. I feel like there needs to be something still, but I feel like there needs to be a higher standard for what a police officer is. I feel like one police officer should be able to come, disengage any situation, not not escalate and be like, maybe they need they need supervision on street supervision. But, Which, the, but here, here, the budget goes up. Here's 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 a let me let me hit you with this though. So now I'm finding out about this story about this woman up in Buffalo, New York. Right? What's her last name? Her first Carrie Carrie O'Horn. She was in Buffalo, New York one night a few years back. She was a police officer. A white officer was choking a black dude. She's an officer as well. Mm. She steps in and breaks up the, 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 gets the cop off the dude. Yeah. The dude. Was this her partner or she was off duty or something? No, she was, I believe she was there. Okay. Like on the scene, oh, like okay. also a cop on the scene. Yeah. Similar to the George Floyd situation. There's other cops there, but nobody was like, yo, get off his neck. Yeah. You know, so she did that. She got fired. Wow. She lost her pension. And she's been fighting for the last like 13 years to get her stuff reinstated. Thankfully, she finally did. But this is what happens to somebody who is trying to be a good cop. Yeah. Hold somebody accountable. You're going against the shield. Yeah. You know, you're not riding with us. This shit is a gang, bro. I understand they get paid. I understand it's a tough job. I understand I would never have the guts to become a police officer and go out into a job where people don't respect you for, for reasons that are somewhat because of the police, but also just because of the perception of police. But also just you are fighting crime. You're yeah. running into situations where somebody might have a knife or it's, it's a very difficult job. I would be scared every minute of that job. Absolutely. But if that and is that's the, not the good thing. If that's the case, you, you shouldn't, shouldn't be, be a police officer. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I want to speak. You can't, <clears throat> if you can't contain that, you shouldn't be a police officer. I want to speak on. Um, did you did you hear what uh, Stephen A. Smith said on first take about no. when this happened? He was saying that somebody about said, what what happened about um, the young man, Mr. Adam, Wright. Adam Toledo. No. Oh, Dante Wright. Right. Uh huh. He was saying that somebody sent him an, an article or something, and it was like, you know, all the excuses was, you know, it was it was something called I thought. And it was like, I thought that um, my life was in danger. Yeah. I thought that, uh, I thought it was my apartment. Mm -hmm. I thought he was selling a Lucy. Yeah. And it was like. Amber Geiger. And yeah. I thought it was my taser. It was like, he was like, if, if you thought that your taser was the gun, then you shouldn't even be in the, you shouldn't be in the police department. And a police for, officer for 26 and years. And you can't tell the difference? 26 You should years. know that you should she know the difference. She was training somebody on the scene. Yes, yeah, yeah, yep. So he should be fired. Sorry. That's who trained you? You no. Nah. You need to be retrained at least. Yeah. That's crazy. You know? You can't tell the difference between Come on now. That's a wild excuse. That's a crazy excuse. You just murdered somebody. I thought it was the taser, but it was the gun. You know, so I don't know, bro. I don't know what the, I don't know. I don't have any answers. I don't know what the solution is. I'm sure there's people that, you know, I mean, I, in this climate, I don't know how you could still be a person that's listening to this podcast or any podcast and be like, I came here to hear about other crime shit. I didn't hear, come here to, Bye. Hear, yeah, get the, get the bounce, man. I don't yeah. know what to tell you, bro. We're two black dudes in America. You think we weren't going to come here and talk about this shit? 
If that's an issue, you got a problem, you want to skip or whatever, don't skip. Skip the whole podcast. Bounce. You know? I don't know what the solution is to this shit, man. But I know that in the Carol Horn situation, I want to bring it one more time because it, it segued us into it really great. Carol Horn, that officer that she tried to stop, mm-hmm. she got fired. He continued to move up the ranks, get promotions, worked for years after that. And then a couple years back, he got arrested and sentenced to a four-month sentence because he was slamming some black kids' heads on the hood of his car. So if you if you take this woman's word back then and say, hey, this is a bad apple, the thing they keep saying, hey, Carrie O'Horn is saying this is a bad apple. You got to get him out of here. Instead, you fire the woman who's trying to hold you accountable, move the guy, the other guy up the ranks, and he ends up going to prison for assaulting some kids. Yeah. You know, everybody should be going out of that. Everybody. Chief, whatever. All of Absolutely ridiculous, bro. And again, I'm not here to, to to bash cops. I have family members that are police officers. I'm not here to bash every police officer. But what I am here to say is if you can have a job where you have you have the right to kill people implicitly with no accountability, that is absolutely disgraceful. If we don't have the ability to hold police officers, civil servants accountable when we feel like they did something wrong or dangerous or we feel like they're their power has grown grown too tremendously to where they're getting these hundred million dollar budgets and contracts every year. When I saw that video of that fucking police department in New York, they have robot dogs now. Yeah. That's fucking crazy, bro. Yeah. Imagine you're going into the peas, bro. You're going into the projects with a hundred thousand dollar robot dog and people are hungry in that building. Yeah. How are you not funding? If you want to limit crime and, and minimize crime, invest in the communities that you're policing. And then maybe the crime rates go down. Yeah. Instead, it's like, no, nah, man, people are hungry. They're starving. So they rob the liquor store. So send people to go beat up the people that rob the liquor stores because they're hungry and starving. Instead of trying to make those people not hungry and starving anymore. Yeah. Makes your job easier. Less stressful. <clears throat> it makes them unnecessary. Yep. And that's why they won't do it. Because if there was no crime or less crime, how can you justify giving them more money yeah, to get robot gonna, dogs and shit like that? That ain't going to happen. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, so I don't know what the solution is. I feel like the the solution is reinvesting in the community. But if reinvesting in the community means potentially less crime and less of a necessity for for police officers, why would police officers get on board with that? And now they have a union that's bigger than anything. They have the biggest union in the country. The power of the police force is massive. So they have a say and a sway in elections and local and national elections. You know, so why would they agree to make themselves obsolete in any kind of way? Yeah. So I don't know what the solution is. Hey, I wish our union was that strong. Yeah, man. Some strong unions out there. The police union is very strong. Yeah. You know, you know, these things happen. People get shot or whatever. Immediately as people, representatives on Fox News, CNN, they go around trying to put the spin on it and everything. Yeah. And, you know, the the judges, these courts situations usually go in their favor. It's crazy, man. We have a, we have camera footage of Derek Chauvin kneeling on that man's neck, George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 32 seconds. And this trial has been going on for five weeks now. It's not an open and shut case. And I think the prosecution is doing a great job, and I still don't know how this is going to play out. I don't think he's going to walk, but I don't think he's going to get the maximum sentence. Yeah. And they caught him on camera. Imagine how many people they didn't catch on camera. And then they got to write the story, narrate what happened. Same thing with this kid with this Adam Toledo story. They said he turned around with the gun and the cop had to shoot him. The video comes out, that's not what happened at all. So now they have to backtrack and still spin it. Okay, well, he didn't have the gun when he turned around, but he had a gun. So same difference. It's not. 
You know, yeah. so I, you know, I don't know. I don't. And again, I, like I said, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if the solution is abolishing cops, but the shit needs massive reform at the very least. And there's going to yeah. be some people that come in and are like, pick a side, pick up. You're straddling the fence. Do you, do you fuck with cops or you don't fuck with cops? I don't know, man. But what I do know is there's, they're being, it's, there's, they're being trained wrong or maybe they're being trained right. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe they're doing exactly what they're trained to do. And that's what the problem is. But something's got to give. This shit is every week, bro. This, these were back-to-back stories. Dante Wright happened two weeks ago. Then the next week, this kid, Adam Toledo, this, this kid, Adam Toledo, shit actually happened weeks ago. And the footage comes out and disproves everything that they said was the official story. So I don't, you know, it's crazy, bro. I don't know. I don't know what, this, I don't know what the solution is. But um, I'm actually, what we're going to do this week, we're going to do the Patreon shoutouts at the end of the episode this week just because, you know, we've been talking for 50 minutes. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it's Fran's turn to tell you guys some fucked up shit. So stick around. We all enjoy a little mystery. And on the new podcast, One Strange Thing, that's just what you'll get. Every other week, One Strange Thing presents forgotten stories from America's news archives. They all have something in common, a single element that can't quite be explained. I'm Laura Norton. Join me on One Strange Thing, and you'll hear about bizarre events that unfolded in our country's local newspapers, but never made it much further than that. No matter the place or the people, One Strange Thing brings you stories that are very real and just a little otherworldly. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. So my affirmative murder this week is about the Ariel Castro uh, kidnappings. Mm. I'm sure you guys have heard this story. This wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, so here we go. So Ariel Castro uh, was born was born in Puerto Rico, the son of Pedro Castro and Lillian Rodriguez. Castro's parents divorced when he was a child, and he moved to mainland United States with his mother and three full siblings. They settled in Reading, Pennsylvania, then moved to Cleveland, Ohio, where Castro's father and other family members were living. Castro had nine siblings, both full and half, mm. and graduated from Cleveland's Lincoln West High School in 1979. Castro met his girlfriend, Gramilda uh, Figuera, when his, when his family moved into a house across the street from hers in, in the 1980s. They lived with both sets of parents, but moved into their own home at 20, 2207 Seymour Avenue in 1992. Good year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I bet. The home was two stories, uh, 1,400 square feet, um, four bedroom, one bathroom house, um, 760 square foot unfinished basement built in 1890 and remodeled in 1956. Mm. Super details. Classic. Um, So Gramilda's sister, Alita, said that all hell started breaking loose when the couple moved into their new home. Elda and her husband, Frank, claimed that Castro beat um, Gramilda breaking breaking her nose, ribs, and arms Mm. and causing a blood clot on her brain that Mm. resulted in... um, in the tumor. Oh. He also is, th- wait, that's the thing? What? A blood clot can become a tumor. But you can get that from physical trauma? Yeah. 
Oh, wow. I, I didn't know that either. Yep. Wow. Um, I, I guess if it's, it's repeatedly happening all the time. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, tumors are growth. Yeah. So if you swelling, swelling can. Yeah, I wow. mean, you can beat and thrown Jesus. down the steps and all kinds of shit all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he also threw her down a flight of stairs, cracking her skull. Mm. In 1993, Castro was arrested for domestic violence but was not indicted by a grand jury. So Grimilda moved out of the home in 1996, good for her, and secured custody of, of, of her four children. Police assisted in the move and detained Castro, but they did not, that's the first time I've heard of that, which they sh- that should always be. I don't know if that's, they always do that, but yeah, man, uh, I just I just read a story uh, from a couple of days ago. A woman, she got uh, there was a domestic violence incident, yeah, and her husband got arrested. Yeah, he got right out of jail, killed her and her mom. That's what I mean. They shouldn't be there. Should be, be left alone. Police or presence or something, yeah, or they should be able to off be offered something like a speed dial or call this crazy. number and the police show up or be notified like. Hey, we just let him out. He just made bail or whatever. Yeah, but I mean, like, we, you've seen that story plenty of times to go like, oh, he if if that's that's a possibility that if yeah. he gets out, he might go back go and right to get you. her. Yeah, that's the first place he's going to go. Yeah. Um. So Grimelda moved out of her home in 1996 and uh, secured police custody of four children. Police assisted in the move, detained Castro, but they did not press charges. Castro continued to threaten and attack Grimelda after she left him, according to um her sister. Mm-hmm. So Grimilda filed charges in, in 2005 in um, Cuyahoga County uh, Domestic Relations Court accusing him of inflicting multiple multiple severe injuries on her and of frequently um, abducting their daughters, mm. which is crazy. Yeah. The court granted her a temporary restraining order against Castro, but it was dismissed a few months later. Wow. Grimilda died in April of 2012 due to complications from her brain tumor. So, so murder. He killed her. Friends and relatives relatives gathered on Denton Denton Avenue on April 29th, twenty twelve, for memorial memorial services in her honor. So he killed that woman. Yeah. Um. Before his arrest at age twenty two, Castro worked as a bus driver for the Cleveland Metropolitan School District. He um, gets he's allowed to work around kids if and he's had his kids taken away and has complaints about him abducting his own kids. Yep. That's crazy. I hope that that's changed. I feel like you should have higher requirements to be to work around children yeah uh yeah so he worked he was a bus driver for cleveland metropolitan school district until he was fired for bad judgment including this shit is wild and it's like just like your point it's like how did y'all not notice y'all don't do a background check (laughs) listen to this so castro worked right he worked as a bus driver he got fired for bad judgment including making an, an illegal he did not care about this job at all making an illegal u turn with children on the bus they don't even put them seatbelts on them kids on that bus. Exactly. Using his bus to go grocery shopping. Oh, this he didn't give wilding. a shit. <laughs> don't tell me the kids. The kids that must he had to drop them off. He was like, "Hey, I'll be back." No, <laughs> what? I need to go home. <laughs> you like take up these parking spaces with a bus yeah. in the parking lot? That's crazy. <laughs> I'll be back. Yeah. Like what? These kids have to be home by five. Or and I need eggs. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, so he uses his, his his bus as a gro- for, to go grocery shopping, Bad leaving judgment. a child leaving a child on the bus while he went for lunch, leaving the bus unattended went, while he took a nap at home. Get the fuck out of here! Yeah, so he he was doing all this while earning eighteen eighteen dollars ninety one cents per hour, um, when he was discharged. This was in the when what year? That's a good pay. This was in 
She died in 2012. Oh, okay. His wife died in that's 2012. still good pay. So it was, a, it was around that time. Yeah. That's still good pay. Yeah. So he's making almost 19 bucks an hour. Yeah. Um, at the time of his arrest, Castro's home was in foreclosure after three years of unpaid real estate taxes. So Castro kidnapped his victims by offering them a ride. He drove each to his home, lured them inside, took them to the basement, and restrained them in his house on 2207 Seymour Avenue, located in the, in Cleveland's residential um, Tremont neighborhood. The house has since been demolished. So the house is not even there anymore. But this is the house that had the tax liens on it? This is the house that had the tax liens on it. Try to look it up, like, past. I don't even think they, now I don't think they look at, let you look at the block anymore. Oh, wow. Because I tried to do other addresses, uh-huh. possibly, but it doesn't even pop up. You know how you can go to Google Messenger, yeah. a little yellow guy? Zoom, yeah, yeah, It yeah. won't let you do that. Oh, wow. And, but the pictures that they have before, the house is blurred. They blurred the house out. You oh, can't wow. even see, you can't even see the house. And they demolished it. It's like a little, like, it's a lot, like, a lot now. So it's like, get this shit out of here. Yeah. So Michelle Knight disappeared on August 23rd, 2002, after leaving a cousin's house. She was 21 years old at the time. On the day of her disappearance, she was scheduled to appear in court for a child custody case involving her son, Joey, uh, who was in the custody of the state. Following Knight's rescue, police acknowledged that limited resources had been spent on investigating her disappearance. In In part because she was an adult, authorities believed that she had run away voluntarily due to anger over losing custody of her son. Really? According to Cleveland Deputy Police Chief Ed Tomba, she was the f- she was the focus of every f- she was the focus of very few tips. Some had some have criticized her removal from the National Crime Invest- Information Center database. This event happened 15 months after she disappeared, so she was largely unknown prior to her rescue. Cleveland Police and the FBI maintained that her inclusion or exclusion had not had no bearing on her on her rescue. So when they found this girl. Since they took her off the off the um, crime Info information center database, they didn't even know who she was. Yeah, because found implies they were looking. They they weren't looking. Right. So they was like, they just, she's an adult. Yeah. Um, we got to use this spot, whatever yeah. the site was. She's just gone. She left. She's gone. So to erase her from the missing persons database. Yep. Um. So another one was Amanda Berry, who was probably the the more known one, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, disappeared on April 21st, 2003, the day before her 17th birthday. She was last heard from around 8 p.m. when she called her sister to tell her to tell her that she was getting a ride home from a from her job at the Burger King on West uh, 110th Street and Lorraine Avenue. The FBI initially considered her a runaway until a week after her disappearance. When an unidentified male used her cell phone to call her mother, he said, I have Amanda. She's fine, and we'll be coming home in a couple days. Oh, that's that is terrifying. Yeah, that's bold too, real bold. So Barry Barry was featured in a 2004 segment of Fox America Most Wanted, which linked her to Gina DeJesus, who by that point had also gone missing in Cleveland. Barry and DeJesus were profiled on the Oprah Winfrey Show and the Montel Williams Show, where self-proclaimed psychic Sylvia this shit was crazy Sylvia Brown. Told Barry's mother, I would have, I'd have fought this lady. Told Barry's mother, Luana Miller, in 2004, that her daughter was dead and that she was in in water. Oh, yeah, man, that psyche shit is crazy. I'm man. not. I, I don't I, want. No, I'm sure there are people who have some connections, but every time I hear about these people, it always takes me back to that. Um, like ABC News did an expose with the this reporter. She went up to a lady and she she goes, I. 
I showed you this picture of this girl before we started recording. Yeah. You told me that she died 12 years ago and that, you know, she died in a horrible house fire. She's like, yes, I did. She's like, this is me. <laughs> and she was like, that's you? Yes, this is me. And then she just didn't know what to say. She tried to weasel out. I of bet. It. It's like, this is when they go, like, when the police department hire people. Like, yeah. what? What it's are y'all like like, it, doing? It's like they say, like, we have to entertain all leads. But, like, but for, do you, though? For a second to call it, hey, I have information. Yeah, the first question would be like, okay, how, how'd you get it? Okay, so I had a dream. Yeah. Click. It's, that's it. That's that's the end of the story. <laughs> you know? Let me come down and tell you, come in with their cards and shit, candles and yeah. shit. Kind of she astral projected to me. Oh, you have a nice day, okay? Yeah, that's it. I have a dream. No, no, thank you. <laughs> So this uh, pronouncement um, devastated her mother, causing her to take down pictures and give away birds. Like, she just believed her. They, she just believed her and was like, wow. that's all she had, I guess. And this was on Oprah point. Winfrey? Um, they put that shit on television? This was on television? Like, even if it wasn't, like this was, on, this was on a TV show? Yeah. That's crazy. That's so exploitive. That's crazy. Yep. Why would you bring somebody who's lost their child on your TV show and bring a psychic on the show? And then have the psychic tell them that your daughter's dead She's in dead. front of an audience of people. Yeah. And then air that. It's gross, man. Yep, so she went home and took down the pictures. Why would she take down the pictures, though? She believed it. Yeah, but you don't take... I wouldn't take down my child's... I wouldn't take down my child's... I think she means, like, the pictures, like, have you seen me? Oh, I'm about like to the, say. Like the posters. Oh, okay. All right. That, okay, I get that. All right. Okay, well, she didn't... Yeah, she didn't say go. Okay, well, she took down... But she gave away her, her, her Barry's computer. Oh, well, then maybe this she did. That's, if she, I don't, I don't want to judge. I don't, grief manifests itself in a lot of ways. I get it. So yeah, she could have took that. the pictures down because it was too painful. Yeah. I don't know. However, Miller continued to search for, her search for Barry. So she continued to search, mm -hmm. uh, dying from, but she died from heart failure in early March 2006. I think we talked oh, about wow. something like this before where it's like you on this mission and you just don't have enough time to play, play it out. Play it out. Yeah. And, uh, it's uh, super tragic. Um, so later that year, on December 25th, 2006, Barry gave birth to a daughter. DNA evidence. The has same been, year her mom died? Yep. Wow. Later that year, yep. Wow. Barry gave birth to, um, to a daughter. DNA evidence has confirmed that Castro was the father of that child. Mm. Well, Robert Wilford was a prison inmate who had lived in Tremont, and he claimed in July 2012 that he had information about the location of Barry's body, who is not dead. He led police to an empty lot on Cleveland's west side where they conducted a fruitless search. He was sentenced in January 2013 to four and a half years to prison for obstruction of justice, making a false report and making a false alarm. Um, so uh, Georgina, Gina, a short was, uh, her nickname was Gina, Lynn de Jesus, went missing at age 14. She was last seen at a payphone around 3 o'clock p.m. on April 2nd, 2004, while on the way home from her middle school at West 105th Street and Lorraine Avenue, kind of off of that same main street, Lorraine Avenue. Yeah. At the time, she was friends with Ariel Castro's daughter, Arlene Castro. Oh, wow. Shortly before Gina disappeared, she and Arlene had called Arlene's mother, Gramilda, for permission to have a sleepover at De Jesus' house. But Gramilda replied that they could not, and the two girls, two girls parted ways. Arlene was the last person to see De Jesus before her disappearance. Mm. You know, possibly if they had to sleep over, you know, this probably couldn't happen. Yeah. You know? So De Jesus was under the, the impression that Castro was picking her up to drop her off at home. So there was some type of trust because that, well, was, that her was her friend's her, her friend's father. Her friend's father. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That's super gross. Um Yeah, so she thought that, you know, he you was trust, she could trust him. Right. Drop her off at home. And she trusted Castro, but but 
only because that you no, know, that was her. That was her. His daughter was her friend. I just don't envy being a parent, man. Like, how yeah. do you how do you instill this into uh, you? Can't like, how do you tell a kid like, even if you know a person, don't trust every. You know what I mean? Like, you can't yeah. like if somebody if somebody's been seen at your house at family events, cookouts, whatever. And then your kids going to school and they get pulled up on you don't and you you don't as a person as an adult, I like it's like oh that's uh what's her name Mila, Mila, uh, Melendra's Melendra's the woman the wife Gramilda Gramilda that's yeah. Gramilda's husband I don't really know him like that but he comes to the cookhouse yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really have a gauge on him but you don't know he could kidnap your kid yeah. so you don't tell your kid like hey even people that you kind of know. Don't just get in a car with anybody. I mean, like, what do you say? Don't get in a car with anybody. I guess that's what you say. But like, you come, you know, your daughter comes from this. This she has this side of her family. There's this big, close knit Hispanic family. Yeah, all kind of people. Probably she she thinks she knows or knows. It's like you just say like, don't get in anybody's car. Yeah, the thing with now, I can kind of speak on that because it's like, so when we used to go out, uh-huh. I never called my dad to pick us up. Sure. My dad yeah. would let me have it. So yeah. it was like. It was it was a situation where it was like either your mom came and got us, uh-huh. Miles' mom came and got us, yeah. or we had to find a way to get home. Because I wasn't yeah. I wasn't calling my dad because it wasn't gonna happen. Yeah. Now with that, that could be a situation where it's like you call me no matter what. I need to ride home. This could happen to me. I could need to ride home and I go. I'm not calling my dad. Yeah. You trust somebody that you think you know. I need to ride home. Can you give me a ride home? Yeah. Then I could see how that happens. For sure. For my kids, I'm like, call me whenever. No if matter you what. Don't get in the car with nobody, you can call me. Yeah. Well, my dad was like, motherfucker, don't, you better not. Yeah. If you ain't home, don't even call me for a ride because it ain't happening. Yeah. So I get how that, this probably could be her situation. For sure. Her parents it's could like have been not, the same exact yeah, way. Yeah, it's like, I'm stuck and I'm not getting in trouble. So this person steps in, sees yeah. me walking. Maybe yep. it was a long walk and they go, oh man, let me help you out. Yeah. And you're just like, hey, I don't want to make this long ass walk. Yep. I know them, saw them around. Yeah. And it's like that's hard, bro. Like, how do you, how do you instill it in a kid? Yeah, you know, like yeah. I mean, it's like it should, it should. You shouldn't have to second guess if you can trust people that you think you know. Yeah, but you like you your ha- best friend's dad. Yeah, like, I mean that's crazy. Yep. Um. So no one witnessed her abduction, and the Amber Alert was not issued, which angered her father. He said in t- in two thousand six that Amber that the Amber Alert should, the Amber Alert should work for any missing child. Yeah. Whether it's an abduction or a runaway, a child needs to be found. We need to change this law. So a year after her disappearance, the FBI released a composite sketch and um, description of a male, a male suspect described as Latino, 25 to 35 years of age, 5 feet 10 inches, 165 to 185 pounds, with green eyes and a goatee and possibly a pencil-thin beard. That is a specific description. It is. But it ain't him. Oh, so okay. according to the court records, Castro was five foot seven, one hundred seventy nine pounds, with brown eyes and a goatee. Not yeah, that off, it's, but it's, I mean, it's, it's not. It's off enough. Yes, it's off enough that you aren't. I mean, like I can five seven and five ten. There's a whole bunch of people I'm excluding. Yeah, for sure. There's a big difference. Yes, green eyes. That's a really big. That's <laughs> that's such that's such green eyes. A green hot Hispanic per- man. That's a five ten. You're describing like a model. <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of people you're just like pushing aside. Yeah. With those couple of, they sound small, like eye color and height, three no. inch difference. That excludes a That's lot a, of people. Those people you're just not even looking at. You just like look right over them. Like, no, definitely not that person. You know? I, like a, a, that, I feel like that shortens the, that makes this pool smaller when somebody was like, 
he had green eyes also. Oh, for sure. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's like a handful of people. None of these people are in it. This guy is not even on my radar right. when you're talking about looking for it's somebody. It's like this guy, like the guy who they're looking for had a missing thumb. And it's like. And it's like, no, he didn't. More people have. Like, yeah, it's like. Yeah. There's not a lot of people that have missing a missing thumb. Yeah, so you just. <laughs> it's like, what? If you were wrong on that, it's like actually he. Actually, the guy that kidnapped them didn't have a missing thumb. We've been looking for a missing thumb guy this right, whole so time. Like, we, we, that, we excluded a whole bunch of people. <laughs> That's such an exclusive description. That's what I'm right. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so then Jesus was featured in America's Most Wanted segment, which linked her to Barry. The disappearance received regular media attention um, into 2012. While the families held um, public vigils, Castro, this dude is sick, Castro attended at least two of these vigils. Oh, wow. Reportedly. Well, one of them was his kid's friend. Um, so De Jesus was. It, was. it was De Jesus. That was her thing. So reportedly participated in the search party. He tried to get close to the De Jesus family, and remember that. Remember, he tried to get close to the De Jesus family. So remember that part at the end. That's so sick. Um, so Castro's son, Anthony, was a journalist, was a journalism student in 2004, and he interviewed the De Jesus. He interviewed De Jesus's mother for an article about the disappearance in the plane press. Police kept the, inv- the investigation open and offered a twenty-five thousand dollars reward for the information. So this guy kidnapped this girl, participated in the search. His son interviewed, the, interviewed the mom of the missing girl. And he also is getting close, probably, if you need anything. That's crazy. I mean, like going to the search parties and stuff. Yeah. So his daughter doesn't know who was friends with De Jesus. The son interviewing the mom who was like, whose dad is that? He's there. It's like that. But then, but then how, check this out. How do you reconcile that with that family once all this shit plays out? That the, kid, the son didn't know. And the, how, do you, how do they believe that? Yeah. So you didn't know that my daughter was in your father's basement? Yeah. You didn't know any of that. Yeah. And you just were coming around. Yeah. And we just supposed to be, and your dad was doing the same thing. Yep. Your dad was coming around too and he did it. Yeah. And so you no, interviewed me. Yeah. How did so, you like how would you why would you interview me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's that is you can go. Y'all some sketchy ass motherfuckers. Yeah, for sure. Uh so according to Castro's uncle, his family knew the De Jesus family. This is the part I'll tell you remember. I thought this was at the end, so this is the part I'll tell you to remember. Okay. Um, his family knew the De Jesus family and he had, and he lived on the same West Cleveland neighborhood. Castro eventually claimed that he was not aware that De Jesus was a member of that family when he abducted her. Come on, bro. Get the fuck out of here. So he just was coincidentally clo- getting close to them and the son coincidentally interviewed them. And yep. that- come on, bro. So you didn't know that was your daughter's one of her, your daughter's friends. You didn't know that people y'all say, had a close, people close say ties with the other family. People say whatever when they get caught. This isn't helping you, man. You still got three more murders that's to crazy. fight. Like yeah. it's always some, some random piece of information shit. that they add. That's like it does. We don't believe you, and also why? Why are you? Why does this matter? It's like I tried to cut off his arm, but I slipped and chopped his head off. I didn't it's mean like, to. I didn't mean to. You know. What are we supposed him. to do with this? What are we supposed <laughs> to do with this, Harold? What do you? Why? What are we? What are we supposed to do with this information? So my thumb, my thumb slipped, and it messed my swing up. My swing was supposed to be ninety degrees, but yeah. it ended up being eighty. And you know, I just I went for his head. Sorry. Do you think he's talking? But to, I didn't do you think these him. people are talking back, back, you know, behind the scenes That's with crazy. their lawyers? Like, I think this could be the thing that really takes me from guilty to not guilty. Like, is that what he? You think he thought that was going to make a difference? Like, I didn't know her. Yeah. He turned to like, don't say that. He's he like, I'm gonna say this yeah, anyway because like, this is gonna. This is you're wrong. <laughs> what do you have a degree or whatever? Nah, this is gonna work. Uh, represent yourself at that point. Just go ahead and just go in there and just. Tell well, that not. story you did about that black dude that shot those people. Wow. You know, so I'm all for insane people representing themselves. It is highly entertaining. So I don't um, 
I would, I, don't, I would never want to like <laughs> shoo anybody off of representing themselves because it makes for great television. Yeah. So Castro kidnapped Knight, took her upstairs, tied her hands and feet together, and mm. pulled her pulled her up using her hands, feet, and neck. He left her there for three days without food. Prosecutors at Castro's sentencing wrote the diaries wrote that diaries kept by the women speak of forced sexual conduct, mm. of being locked in a dark room, of anticipating the next session. The next, yeah, next session of abuse, of the dreams of someday escaping and being reunited with family and being chained. And this went on for 10 years, man. Yeah. 10 years to be like, I don't even know if I'm going to make it out of here. You get into a routine. Then you have a kid. Amber had a kid. Yep. And they are just in this basement together, you know. And then you wonder, like, this dude's making $18 an hour. You, It's like, no wonder he's, his house, he wasn't paying the mortgage on it. He had to feed four people or you know only amber had a kid yeah so mm-hmm. he had to feed four mile he had to feed four people that he was keeping trapped in his house you know so I mean, it's, what well, if, amber only was the only one that had a kid that you know that was born oh okay wow uh-huh. um but still it's like yeah, yeah what a what a weird choice to make to have three sex slaves in your you know like it's just such a it's so dark man it's yep. just so fucking dark um yeah so yeah, the diary said, you know, she kept basically doing her everyday, everyday routines of just wishing to get out. Um, Where'd they get diaries from? Even? I don't That's know. But I guess she just had a piece of paper and was just, you know, using that. Um, dreams of someday escaping, being reunited with family, of being chained to a wall, of being held like a prisoner of war, of missing the lives that they once enjoyed, mm. um, of emotional abuse, of his threats to kill, of being treated like an animal, of continuous abuse. And the end of the desiring freedom. The women were kept in locked upstairs bedrooms where they were forced to use plastic toilets oh. uh, where, who were, were emptied infrequently. They were fed one meal a day and allowed to shower twice a week. So now they had these. I don't know if you've ever seen, if you've ever been in a nursing home or whatever, uh, hospital, that they had, the, he had them using these, like, uh, you know, the little push with the toilet seat cut into it. Yeah, like, like but it looks like a walker. Yeah, exactly, yeah, like yeah, a walker, yeah, yeah. and they uh, had to use that to sit in it, and, and then with like know, a bucket, it just sit in, it just sits in there, and you gotta, you gotta dump it out. Oh, because it's like a bedpan underneath of that hole. Yeah, so you gotta dump it out, but, but he, he wasn't do doing it. that frequently, so they had that just, just in a, in like in a bedroom. There's like they a had pan a, of they had of feces. And they had their own room. Remember, there was a it was a four bedroom house. Yeah, so you had the three bedrooms, and you had his bedroom, and you only had one bathroom that they can use twice a week. So, um, and this is like a residential neighborhood, right? He doesn't live like. In the woods somewhere. No, like, how did their a, screams not? I don't. Maybe he had sound. It was soundproofed. I don't know. But it, I guess he he had to threaten him like, "Hey, don't make you know, I will kill you, or whatever." So yeah. he had the the locks on these outside doors. Um, the the way it looked from the pictures or the video I saw, you had, you had to go upstairs and it was like a covering on the the walkway. All the doors had handles on it. You can lock from the outside. Had this makeshift shitty. Alarm system that he so do you think he made? Do you think he set his house up for this first and then went out and got? You think this was premeditated? After the first one, I think he did. Got it. After the first one, he was like, "I like this. I, like I want. This. I want more of them." Yeah. So, let, but let me get my situation set. Let me get my. Up. Let, me get my let me get my. my makeshift wires and shit. That's all in the, just shitty wiring. Just yeah. if the door opens, it triggers an alarm. It's like it's wild. Shit was wild. Um, the chains were all rusted. Yeah, rusted chains. They slip on like a fucking piece of carpet it was like so knight told police that castro had impregnated her at least five times and had induced miscarriages each time through beatings 
hitting her with dumbbells, punching her, and slamming her against walls. He also starved her. Knight's grandmother told reporters that she was required facial reconstruction surgery due to the beatings that she endured, and she lost hearing in one ear. Yep. At one point, she had a, a pet dog while in captivity, but Castro killed it by snapping his neck after, oh. it, after it bit him while trying to protect Knight. De Jesus told law enforcement that she was raped, but, not, but, but did not believe that she was ever impregnated. On Christmas Day of 2006, Castro allegedly ordered Knight to assist in a birth of Barry's child, which took place in a small inflatable swimming pool, and he threatened to kill her if the baby did not survive. At one point, the baby stopped breathing, but Knight was able to um, resuscitate her. Castro occasionally took Amanda's daughter, which was his, out to the ho- out, took the baby out the house, including to visit his mother. She called him daddy and Castro's mother, grandmother. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Is the grandmother in jail? I have no idea. I don't know. Anybody who interacted with that child should be in jail. He just popping up with kids and like nobody asks questions. The neighbor like, doesn't ask like, man, I've never seen a, whose kid is this? Yeah. Does your girl live with you? Or You know what I mean? Yeah. You know the famous interview. The guy was like, Charles Ramsey, he was like, we saw him all the time. But it was just outside doing regular people shit. Like we never saw anybody else come, yeah. anybody else come outside the house. So you to walk out with a child is like wild. That's nuts. Um. So in 2013, he so showed, this kid never went to the hospital. Has a social security number. Nothing. No. Man. Now listen to this. In 2013, he showed one of his da- his adult daughters a picture of her and said that she was his girlfriend's daughter from a previous relationship. He had he had told others that she was his granddaughter. So according to the statement from Cleveland police, officers visited Castro's home only only once following the kidnap the kidnappings to discuss an unrelated incident. Castro did not appear to be home at the time and was later interviewed elsewhere. Neighbors claimed to have called the police about suspicious activity observed at the home, but the police said the police have said that they have no record of such of any such calls. Mm. Castro's son Anthony reported that there were certain areas of the house that were um, inaccessible due to being locked. So he had been in the house. He'd been in the house, but there was some place where it was like just boarded off. It's like why is there? Why is this boarded off in the middle? Why is the living room boarded off, mm-hmm. or the upstairs is boarded off? Don't ask no questions. It's like man, I don't know. That's none of my business. That's crazy. Um, and I'm get. I, I assume that he told them do not make any noise while my family, while my, my son's, son's here. here. Um, he also mentioned on occasion three weeks before the woman's escape when Castro asked him if Barry would ever be found. Anthony said that he told Castro that Barry was likely dead, to which Castro responded, really? You think so? Oh, he's just playing around. He's, yeah. he's enjoying all this shit. Yeah. So he's like, well, they're not looking for her at, at this point. So. Yeah. Um, so NBC affiliate WKYC reported that Castro recalled each of the three abductions in great detail during his interrogation. Um, and indicated that they were unplanned crimes of opportunity. Yeah, okay. According to w, WKYC sources, Castro did not have any exit plan and believed that he would eventually be caught. He referred to himself as cold-blooded and a sex addict. Police found a suicide note. So sick of that excuse, bro. Yep. It's the same thing that dude in, jo- in Atlanta said. It's yep. like, this is not sex addiction. You are a, so- you're a, psych- you're a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not... Oh, I just really love, you know, having sex. Like you're a rapist and a dangerous person. Like it's not, it's not some, it's just, uh, 
So police found a suicide note in his home, which he discussed the abduction and wrote that his money and possessions should be given to the kidnapped woman if he were ever, ever, if he were caught. What money? His, his, uh, info closure home. Yeah. Fucking. Whatever I got left, just give it to them. What? You don't have anything left. (laughs) Don't even have your bus anymore. Right. On May 6, 2013, Barry was finally able to make contact with Castro's neighbor, leading her to escape with her six-year-old daughter and the rescue of De Jesus at night by authorities. According to police, Castro left the house that day and Barry realized that he failed to lock the big inside door, although the interior storm door was bolted. Also, I saw in the video that he used to trick them a little bit and, like, leave a certain part open. To see what they would do? See what they would do. And oh, that's trying to break, trigger, And they're yeah. an alarm. That's to break their spirits. Yeah. And, just uh, wait out, yeah, just wait in another room or some shit? Yeah. That's the type of shit, like, that's some human centipede shit. Yeah. Like, you make people think. That's that's how, like, if anybody's seen Game of Thrones, that's how they broke Theon Greyjoy. The guy, uh, Ramsey Bolton would break him because he'd be like, make him think they came to free him. Mm-hmm. And then he'd get out and be out in the world and, and be super close to getting escape. And then the person who's holding his hand that he thinks is helping him is like, Psych, the way we tricked you. Oh my and goodness. like leads him out to the field, and then the guy's out there. He's like, Haha, was that fun? Did you enjoy that? And they knock him out, bring him back. And oh then, my goodness. And then, but then eventually you get to a point where it's like he could open the door and he just wouldn't run. Cause like, I, I don't, if, if I run, it's a trick, or, you know, I'm gonna get caught some kind of way, it's a trick. So just fuck it. I don't, I don't wanna, I'm not gonna risk it. The, emotion, the Stockholm syndrome. The emotions and the. the the mint. Oh, yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, no. That a fucking those, psyche. Those like women, crazy. those three women, are probably still going through oh, some form sure. of therapy. It may be for the rest of their lives. That yeah. is such a harrowing experience. Yeah. Man. Um. Yeah. So again, he failed to lock the big inside door, although the exterior door, store door was bolted. She did not attempt to break through the outer door because she thought Castro was testing her. Yeah. Yep. According to the police report, previously Castro had tested the women by leaving the house partially unlocked, like I said, and exited and exits unsecured. If they attempted to escape, he would beat them. Mm. Instead, Barry screamed for help when she saw neighbors through the screen. So he was, she was like, I have a way to scream, so I'm just, I'm not even going to try to run through. She probably, she could have. She probably yeah. could have. That day, that was the stock, That's the Stockholm yep. Syndrome. She was though. like, I'm going to just scream yeah. and see if I can get this person's attention. Neighborhood um, Angel, neighborhood, I mean, sorry, neighbor Angel responded to the screaming, but was unable to communicate with Barry because, she, because he spoke little English. Mm. Neighbor Charles Ramsey, who, you know, most people should know, joined um joined Angel at the house at the house's front door during the rescue. They kicked a hole through the bottom of the storm door and Barry crawled through, carrying her daughter. Ramsey said that Barry told him that she was who she was and her child um were being kept inside the house against her will upon being freed. She went to the house of another speak another Spanish speaking neighbor. And with Ramsey's assistance, called nine one one, saying, "Help me! I've been I've been kidnapped, and I've been missing for ten years. I'm here. I'm free now. Mm. Ten years, man." So, responding police officers entered Castro's house. They walked through um, upstairs hallway with guns drawn, announcing themselves um, as Cleveland police. After peeking out from a slightly open bedroom door, Knight entered the hallway and leaped into the officer's arms, reportedly saying, "You saved me." Soon after, De Jesus entered the hallway from another room. Knight and De Jesus walked out of the house, and all three women plus the child were taken to Metro Health Medical Center. Barry and De Jesus were released from the hospital the next day, and Knight was discharged four days later on May 10th. The rescue of the woman also ignited hope for a family of Ashley Summers. I'm not too familiar with that 
that yeah, story. Um, which was another young woman who disappeared in the Cleveland area. They were saying that she possibly could have been in the house, but there was no other woman in the house other than those three. Yeah. Um, she disappeared early July 2007 after leaving her home. Um, after a dispute with her parents, police mm. initially believed that there could um be other captives in the Seymour Avenue home, but found none. And as of April 2021, um, Summers is still missing. Jeez. Mm, yeah. So hopefully, you know, they they get some luck with that. So just answers, some closure if you yeah. don't get the answer you want even. I feel for Amanda Berry, though, because, like, you know the first person she asked him to call when she got out of there was her mom. Oh, yeah. And then she had to find out that yep. her mom's her been mom's dead, dead for, like, 10 years. That's crazy, man. That's a rough one, man. So Castro was arrested on May 6, 2013. He was charged with four counts of kidnapping and three counts of rape on May 8th, which um, carried a prison sentence of 10 years to life in Ohio. Two of the Castro's brothers were, init- were also initially taken into custody but released on May 9th at the police announced they had no involvement. So they you know, tried to see if anybody else was involved with him. Yeah. No. Castro made his first court appearance um, at the Cleveland, um, Cleveland court on May 9th where bail was set to $2 million per kidnapping charge, <sighs> adding to the total of $8 million. Mm. Additional charges were reported to pending, including aggravated, aggravated murder, um, attempted murder, assault, a charge for each uh, inst- instance of rape and a kidnapping charge for each day each captive was held. Oh, uh, yep. yeah. On May, oh, yeah, he's... Yeah. On May 14th, Castro, Castro's attorney said he would he would plead not guilty to all charges if indicted for kidnapping and rape. Um, so the county grand jury returned a true bill of indictment against against Castro on, May, on June 7th. It continued 329 counts, including two counts of aggravated murder, um, for his role in the termination of one of the women's pregnancies. The indictment covered only the period from August 2002 to February 2007. The county prosecutor, Timothy, Timothy J. McNetty, stated that the investigation was ongoing and that any further findings would be presented to the grand jury. McNetty uh, said that, the pursuing, that pursuing a death penalty uh, specification would be considered following um, completion of the indictment proceeding. Mm. So on July 12th, a grand jury returned to true bill indictment for the remainder of the period for after February 7th. It brought to the total of 977 counts, 512 counts of kidnapping, 446 counts of rape, mm. um, seven of seven of gross sexual imposition, six of fel- um, felonious assault, three of child endangerment, two of aggravated murder and one of the possession of criminal tools. And July 17th, Castro pleaded not guilty to the ex, ex, um, expanded indictment. Um, so, all those counts, he ain't getting out no time soon. No, um, at all. Yeah, so. Ever. Ever, ever yep. Um, yeah, so he, so Castro pleaded guilty on July 26th to 937, 937 of the 997, 977 charges against him including charges of kidnapping, rape, and aggravated murder as part of the plea bargain, which called for consecutive sentences of life imprisonment plus a, a thousand years, all without parole. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so Good. he, also, he also forwarded his assets, I mean, uh, whatever he had left, including his home, which prosecutors said would be demolished. Yeah. Castro was told by... Who, who would want that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Castro was told by the county common plea court judge, um, um, Michael Russo... You would not be getting out. Um, is that clear? To which Castro responded, "I do not. I I do understand that, Your Honor. 
Castro also made comments about his abduction, about his addition to pornography and sexual problem, but was cut off by, by the judge, who said such issues could be discussed at the August 1st sentencing hearing. Um, I do want to read his comments he made to the families. I do want to read that. Okay. So Castro um, addressed the court for nearly 20 minutes in which he said he was a good person. Wow. Not a monster. That would have been the end. That would have been, if I was the judge, I'd be like, okay, that's it. That's the end of this. Yep. But that he was addicted to sex and pornography and had participated, I'm sorry, and practiced the the art of masturbation from a young age. He claimed that he never beat. Yeah. He claimed that he had never beaten or tortured the woman and insisted that most of the sex that he had with them was consensual. Oh, no. They let him keep talking? He shifted between so this dude is this dude is nuts. He shifted between apologizing and blaming the FBI for falling for failing to catch him, as well as blaming his victims themselves for getting in a car with a stranger. Wow. Along with insisting that the court as, along with assisting to the court that when he had sex with them, he discovered they were not virgins. He would um altern- alternatively shift back into apologetic comments saying, I hope they can find in their hearts to forgive me because we had a lot of harmony going on in that home. Wow. Man, whatever. How is it not like shit? booze? Like how is like a, a sea of booze? Nobody should even have been able to hear what he was saying because the whole court should have been just booing him. All that shit that was going on in the house, man, wasn't nothing harmonious harmony. about what the fuck that he was doing to those women in the house. What a lunatic. Um. So he said, I hope they can find in their hearts to forgive me because we had, again, uh, we had a lot of harmony going on in the home. The sentencing judge also heard from Knight and family members of Barry and De Jesus. Knight told Castro, you took 11 years of my life away. I spent 11 years in hell. Now your hell is just beginning. I didn't go to go to my mom's funeral. Yep. I will overcome all that has happened, but you will, you will face hell for eternity. I will live on. You will die a little every day as you think of the 11 years of atrocity that you inflicted on us. I can forgive you, but I will never forget. So he went to prison. The house was demolished. Um, he ended up killing himself um, in prison for hanging because he's a coward. Um, and that was pretty much it. Said it, he 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 killed himself. Oh, okay. He hung himself in prison with the bed sheet. Um, and that was it. So that dude killed himself. His house was demolished. His house is no longer. I've been inf- I've been I've been informed to make a note. I don't really feel obligated to do it in this circumstance, but just in general, I will try to make that effort. And so I'm just going to inform you. Um, I've been asked by somebody that um, the 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 preferred term for that is is died by suicide. What I say? Killed themselves, which is just we're used to saying that, and it's just it's just what's been said for all these years. But I think in a situation where you would want to have a little bit of you know niceness and some tact of something died by suicide is like the preferred term because it, it it doesn't imply like I don't I don't I don't understand the full brunt of it but and again in this situation I don't really care about what the term to use fuck this guy yeah but I just we don't say it often that's why I was weird that okay. I, when, they, when they came to me I was like you don't even know I'm like how often do we even say that but I don't know but in this situation you just said so it he so he died by suicide he died by suicide okay. so I'm just 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 make an attempt to try to okay change uh yeah, but fuck that guy. Uh, you know, he is a coward and, you know, took the coward's way out 
uh, instead of facing the justice that was put upon him. Yeah, I know uh, this woman went through a lot, but I'm glad they're all alive. Absolutely, and the and the baby's alive. And you know, and I'm and, I'm, and I'm, she's not even the, they, that, it wasn't the baby. It wasn't a baby when they was rescued. So that yeah, was, the child so, was like six yeah. or something like that. Um, so they'll never forget that those moments. Still probably trying to recover from that. Probably never will. Yeah. Um, shout out to those women for being so strong. Absolutely. I know that's fucking you being fed once a day and being chained up to being degraded, having to shit in a, yeah, a, just, a bedpan or whatever, you know. Um, there's a movie called Room, which I've brought up before. It, you know, it's a it's a hard watch, but it's very much a lot of inspiration came from this story. That's one and two. I just also think it's it's so weird that that Charles Ramsey clip is so funny. Yeah. But it's based around such a dark story. Like yeah. it, that had just happened. Like he had just found these women have been through this crazy, terrible thing, and it went viral and it's hilarious and everything. But if you really think about, it, like that's real. That's not yeah. some like sketch. This dude just found three women who were being ca- held captive in a house for a decade. Yeah. So it's just it's just crazy to think that like it, whenever you watch that clip, if you really think about like what is happening in that moment and yeah. what just happened. And Amanda Berry and these women are just like in an ambulance off to the side somewhere. They just been through the craziest thing in the world. And he's yeah. like, and hey, McDonald's, I had my big, my big Mac and it's yeah. all funny and everything. But like, that's, it's crazy that that had just happened yeah. after that. But me, imagine, imagine just like you hear that name of Amanda Berry. You go, I thought you like, I thought she was he, in, the, in the video. He said, I thought she was, I thought you were dead. Yeah. Right. And that's like, that's crazy for sure. It's crazy. Absolutely. Like, no, I've been held in the house. Like, and you go, what? I he he said I barbecue with this man. Yeah, listen, and salsa music. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's like, wild. you don't know anybody. People only show you what they want you Smiling. to see. Smiling. He got he go. He got three people held captive. Absolutely. Eating yeah. flipping burgers. And so shit. have you ever heard of Mark Anthony? He's putting us putting Charles Ramsey onto new music and shit. He's like, man, this dude Charles is cool, man, and he's a fucking a, an evil, like evil, yeah. pure evil. So yeah, man, you don't know anybody. People only show yeah. you what they want you to see, and. uh I don't know, man. Don't trust people. I don't, that's, that's the only lesson I can come come up with from this. I mean, I'm terrified to have kids after that story. You know, people can just fucking yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, great story, friend. I didn't. It's like I knew the story, but yeah, I didn't yeah. know the I didn't know the story. Right. You know. So thank you for that. Um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, it's my turn to tell you guys not so much fucked up shit. My story's a little different this week, but stick around to find out what it is. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. All right, and we are back. As I alluded to at the end of Fran's story, my affirmative murder is a little different this week. Like I said, uh, I watched a documentary on Netflix called Dark City Beneath the Beat. I was mm-hmm. so inspired by it. It was so um, it made me so proud to be a Baltimorean that I wanted to shed some light on 
you know, the beautiful, impactful life of DJ K Swift and, you know, her untimely death. Yeah. Um, you know, for people who aren't from here, people who are not familiar with Baltimore club music, K Swift was the, like the queen of club music. She was, she was taking the sound to greater heights. She was making it more broad. She was taking it out of Baltimore. She was really slated to be the face of a movement. And, you know, I'll get into how her life was cut short. Yeah. I do want to say everybody knows who's K Swift, K Swift is. Sure. Right. Yeah. In now, Baltimore. You, for in sure. Baltimore, yeah. When, now, when you say that when she passed away, the club music took a hit, I think it took a hit, meaning that it went a different direction than what she, she how she was yeah, doing it. Yeah, for sure. Because it took, it's, it's way different now Absolutely. than what it was when it's, she was yeah. when she was on the scene. It, yeah. It's way different. It's basically going into just rap music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do see you know, that, that turn where she passed away and everything, the, the, the club music scene kind of died off a little bit and went, yeah. to, it went in a different direction. Well, I'll get, in, yeah. I'll get into it because I do have some details, but just okay. off, off the top, I'll give you one one big example as to why that is. K-Swift was for the kids. Yeah. K-Swift would go yeah. to kids' parties. Mm-hmm. She would go to kitty disco. Yeah. She would go to firehouse parties, like, you know, at, you know these big, like, uh, basketball courts at boys and girls clubs, and there's a, a thousand kids in there. She'd be DJing those kind of parties. And she had connections with the elder statement statesman in uh baltimore club music and she was the gap so she would bridge the gap and she also had this big thing of like i want baltimore club music to be a a way for people to escape the harshness of the city yeah so if kids are in he's in these parties dancing they're not out committing crimes so her not being that bridge between the young and the old and having that positive message behind it people just kind of took the sound and went their own way and, and, and did whatever they wanted to do with it. There was nobody to kind of like, they, the head of the snake was gone. Yeah, it's, cr- it's, it's crazy to hear that most of the people that are famous in Baltimore, uh-huh. it's always that, you know, I'm trying to create something where I'm trying to stop crime on the street or trying to take them away. Like, for example, Akil Carr, when he played basketball, it yeah. was... The, the crime rates went crime, down. The cr- he was called the crime stopper because yeah. everybody went to go see him play. Yes. And for people who don't know, Akil Carr was yeah. this kid. He was a phenom, a phenom basketball player. He was like yep. five five. Yeah. He would light up teams. And when he played basketball, there was less crime on the streets because yep. everybody was in their in the arenas watching them play basketball. Yeah. They called yep. him the crime stopper. Yep. Yeah. So and and it's like when you have that kind of power in, in a city like this, you kind of take it on. It's a mantle. Yeah. You a lot of people that you like you're speaking of. They take on that responsibility. Yeah. They go, I, I want to, I want that. I want to stop that, stop the crime. Yeah. I want to minimize it however I can. It's just, it's just weird to hear when you go, you know, some people that do, the, the trying to satisfy other people is go, and I want to make people happy. Yeah. But it's like, it's like they doing that, but it's also, I'm trying to get people off the streets. Absolutely. Or forget about the shit that they got to deal with after they finish watching me play for or sure. finish watching, hear my music. Yeah. Just to escape for a Absolutely. certain amount of time. And so it's just, Give them something to do. Exactly, yeah. They, they, these people don't have anything to do. And, you know, and not only do they not have anything to do, they're in the worst economic situations you could think of. And there's no outlets for it. So yeah. if you can go, okay, come in here, dance, sweat, have a good time, see some women, see some men, laugh, play yeah. some, you know, hear some records you like to hear. Or you go to a basketball game, see this kid be phenomenal, yeah. some fun, inter- some entertainment. You know, a little bit of intense rivalry in basketball is something. It's a distraction. It's a way to get people off the streets where, yeah. you know, it's an opportunity for stupid things to happen. Yep. Anyway, like I said, this is the story of uh, DJ K. Swift, um, also known her, her government name is Kia Edgerton. So uh, Kia, Ed- Kia Edgerton was born to Joseph and Juanita Edgerton and raised in Randall t- Randallstown, Maryland. After acquiring, acquiring her first set of 
turntables at the age of 15, the newly named K-Swift began DJing and booking parties at after-hours venues like the Twilight Zone. She graduated from Randallstown High School in 1996 and went on to intern at 92Q Jams, a popular radio station in Baltimore when she was 18, and worked her way through the ranks at the radio station until she earned a co-hosting position in 1998. The show Off the Hook Radio, along with her, co- ho- her co-host Squirrel Wide, mm-hmm. became the number one radio show in all of Baltimore. Along with performing live and throwing parties, K-Swift owned and operated Club Queen Entertainment. She was selling her own music both independently and through a Baltimore-based company called Unruly Records, and she also started several companies, putting her in position to become the undisputed face of Baltimore club music. In the summer of 2008, K-Swift was amplifying Baltimore's sound, and the world was starting to pay attention. At just 29 years old, she was on a trajectory that would have put both her and the club music scene in the global spotlight. K-Swift even appeared on an MTV music showcase hosted by Sway. In, uh, I was going to call him Sway in the morning, but at the time he was just Sway. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows Sway. Yeah. Uh, it was hosted by Sway. It was, it, was, it, was, it was really cool, too. You can still find it on YouTube. You know, Sway kind of sets it up as like, you know, uh, we're going to spotlight this movement in Baltimore. And yeah. they go and they go to the Paradox and K-Swift is showing you around mm-hmm. and explaining how powerful this music is and what it represents. And it's just really beautiful. Like she was ushering in this new wave of where Baltimore was starting to be put on the map and the music was starting to be appreciated and heard, not just in Baltimore. Yeah. You know, that same summer, she also performed alongside international DJ Diplo at Baltimore's Artscape Festival. Just a day after her triumphant set at the Artscape, Kia K. Swift Edgerton hosted a pool party at her home. During the early mornings of Monday, of Monday, July 21st, K. Swift reportedly dove into her, her above ground pool and guests saw her dive in, but never saw her swim out. Friends pulled her out, but CPR wasn't administered until an ambulance arrived. Fans rushed to Good Samaritan Hospital. About, a ha- about an hour and a half later, officers were called in for crowd control. Sadly, K. Swift suffered a fatal neck injury from the headfirst dive and was pronounced dead at the hospital. And you got, you got details on that? or No, um... She 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 was hosting a party. She she dove into the above ground pool. I assume it wasn't very deep. Yeah, I remember hearing the story. Yeah, it was same. A super sad day. I remember yeah. hearing that. It was, and I I remember going. Did she hit the side of the pool? I, I could never the, wrap around. My, I, I imagine she around. hit. She dove in, probably with some force, and hit the bottom of the pool, hmm. and and like probably hit her head at the bottom of the pool while still moving forward, and cracked her neck. But then also, she didn't come right out of the pool. So, at the very least, uh, I imagine based on you know the autopsy and the toxicology report that I read, she would have been paralyzed from the from the neck down mm-hmm. if she had survived. But I, I'm I'm assuming her being under the water played a role as well. But they're saying that the neck injury was the fatal blow. So even if even if that wasn't the fatal blow, she also was under the water for some time before people noticed that she hadn't come back up under the water. And then she, nobody who, performed who CPR from that. Her neck. I know. Where did she dive from? Where did she dive? Where did she jump from? I haven't seen pictures of her backyard, but it's it's an above ground pool. So, but the deck is like built uh, mm-hmm. over top of it. So when you're standing on the deck, you're you're above the pool. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I never I never seen anybody dive head first in, into, into a, an above ground pool. Yeah, no, yeah, they're yeah. not very deep. Yeah, yeah you know. True, but true. you know. So uh, damn. Yeah. 
Very sad and very. I remember just, that day. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, she really was like, her trajectory was just going up. Yeah. You know. So, and I remember that day very much too. It was a weird, it was a sad day in school. Yeah. Um, I lived in Owings Mills, mm-hmm. and Good Samaritan Hospital is isn't far from. Yeah. There, so, um, like I said, a, a toxicology report revealed a small amount of alcohol because it was you know it was a backyard party, and no drugs in her body. Initially, it was investigated by police as suspicious. But Edgerton's death, death was declared an accident with no indications of foul play in early 2009. The reason it was investigated as suspicious was because none of her friends performed CPR. But, like, I just assumed nobody knew how to do CPR, you know, which is sad. I mean, I wish people, you know, that should be a more common training for people to have. It's a good skill to have, you know, knowing how to do the Heimlich, any of these things. School. They, sh- they should teach a lot of things in school. That's right. Um, so, but, yeah, no, no, I assume nobody knew how to do CPR. So it's just like, don't touch her. Yeah. We don't want to. Yeah, I, I don't either. I mean, I know I can mimic what I've seen done on television, yeah. but I don't know if I'm doing it right. You know, you do chest compressions, you breathe. I don't know if I, I don't, I haven't been properly trained on how to do it though. Yeah. Do you have details on the the time frame of when she dove and they pulled out of the water? Um, that's we on the Wikipedia. It says it was like twelve o'clock. No, I mean, oh, twelve o'clock when the ambulance showed up, like twelve in the afternoon. Wait, he left her in the water. No, no, they pulled her out. And That's pulled, what I mean. No, her friends pulled her out and brought her onto the deck. I mean, like, how? What's the time? Did they oh, have until the ambulance she, came? She, no, when she hit her neck and they, that, they no, I don't, I don't, I don't have okay. those details. Mm, like, okay. I don't know how long she was in the water, know. and and, yeah. and 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 I don't know those details. But it was enough. It was like enough time that like she dove in, and then people were like, "Ha ha, yeah, whatever." And then they're like, "Oh wait, wait. she hasn't come up yet." Right, right, right. right so right. it was enough time where it was like. Let's call it a 30 seconds, a minute, you yeah. know, where it was like, yeah. she's been down there too long. And then they come and pull her out. And, you know, yeah, she was she was pronounced dead at the hospital. A procession with her casket carried by a horse-drawn carriage filled the streets with waving and clapping fans paying their respects. The auditorium at Morgan State University attracted thousands of fans to her funeral. To club fans, the loss of K-Swift had an effect on the club music scene in an instant. Club music typically heard around the clock on 92Q, dwindled. Some say it was as if the scene lost its guiding light. City Youth, a segment of fans some DJs ignored, but Edgerton embraced by performing at school dances, was also hit hard. Suddenly, there was no leader in the music for for the youth and no bridge between old and new school club listeners. There were fewer teen parties, which kept kids off the streets, according to Terry Weddington, uh, who was 27 and a choreographer and the founder of the TSU dance dance crew. Terry Terry Weddington is also in the documentary that I've been referring to this whole episode. Mm. So shout out to him. Again, a very beautiful documentary. Um, years later, even as the city embraces rap more than club, Swift's presence looms large. But the love of club is still there, and residents are still propelling the sound and culture forward. Many credit artists like Mighty Mark, Thunderbird, Juice. Thunderbird Juicebox, I, I haven't heard of him, and uh, TT the Artist, and members of the enduring dance community like Laboo and Wedding, Weddington. As I stated, TT the Artist also directed Dark City Beneath the Beat, So, and she's been paying her dues, she's been putting in the work, she big ups K-Swift at every turn that she does, you know, because she's like, she's a, fe- she's a, she's a woman in the, in, the, in the industry trying to bring, ball- she's trying to pick up K-Swift's legacy and yeah. take uh, club music to the masses and she's very big on women empowerment because k swift was this woman she was very big on you know djs being women and you know uh you know empowering women and tt yeah. the artist kind of has taken up that mantle to you know keep on with k swift's legacy yeah and also k swift is one of those people where 
she would never be forgotten. No. Because she she was so big on the on the um the club music. Absolutely. And her being on the radio. Her tag, her her just her voice. Her voice, her yeah. being on the radio, they every year. Happy yeah. That, yeah. You she, hear that song yeah. every year. She yep. was the sound of the city. Yep. K Swift was the sound of the city. Like yep. her her voice, her tags, her mixes. You know, um, yeah, K Swift, K Swift forever for sure. Um, it really was weird. Like, you know, if you're from Baltimore or if, even if you're from the DMV area, you definitely know who K Swift is. And it was a big loss. You know, it was a, it was a weird kind of. Again, I was not. I I don't know how to do any of the dances. I look like a fool when I do the dances. Yeah. But I I enjoy being in the party, seeing people have a good time. It's great energy, and that's very true. Like, I mean, I was in 2009 i was 15 years old and 15 2009 i'm sorry what was i 16 i was 16 17 i was 16 2010 i graduated 17. i graduated i graduated in 2010 right. so i was 17 15. when i graduated you said 16 i said 15 first I was either between fifteen or seventeen. My point is, yeah. you know, we I I wasn't going to the parties as as much. I think you probably went to a lot more parties than me. Yeah. But I've I, you know I would go to a couple and it absolutely would keep kids off the streets. It was a fun yeah. time. It was part. It was packed. It was fun. It was sweaty, fun, yeah. reckless. Kids doing dumb stuff. Yeah. You dancing Dance, with girls. Yeah. It was so it was, it was so fun. fun. And that definitely dwindled. You know, as the as the club music scene started to die down. You know, and I don't know if there's a you know. The paradox closed down. I don't know if Hammerjacks might have closed down. All the all the clubs where they had like teen nights went away. Yeah. They we used to have we used to have those dances in middle school. Uh-huh. We used to go it's like Friday set Friday night. Yeah. Like, you go to you go to the dance tomorrow? Yeah. What, tonight, whatever you used to go. You're and, gonna hear a K Swift mix at those parties. Right, exactly. And then like I think after a certain year they they they, they was going on until we graduated out of middle school. Mm-hmm. But they they stopped since it hasn't been yeah. After we graduated, it stopped pretty much after that. Like yeah. you don't hear it. You know, I'm not hanging with little kids, but right. you just, we just don't. We have friends that have little siblings that's younger they're than not, us. They're, they're, not just, they're not going. They're not going to Friday not, night parties. They don't have those anymore. Yeah, and that's those man. Those just was fun, man. So fun, man. Uh, ironically, Edgerton never danced herself, according to her mother, but she felt the responsibility to get Baltimoreans moving on the dance floor and to offer a sweaty escape from life's burdens. Yeah. Music writer Al Shipley said Edgerton was positioned to be for Baltimore what DJ Khaled is for Miami. That non-rapper, non-producer who's, who was part of the musical identity of a city on the cusp of mainstream recognition, he said. For a club comeback, some people believe it needs the right leader, but there will never be another no, club queen. Not even close. At all. In the meantime... Popular Baltimore radio personality Porkchop continues to keep her voice alive yep. using samples and mixes from Edgerton's sets over energetic beats during his uh, nightly tributes, marking, making sure that no one ever forgets her. K-Swift forever. Yeah. Um, uh, that's my story this week. Like I said, uh, it's a little different, but if you watch this documentary, Dark City Beneath the Beats, we got a question on one in the Patreon Q&A about, you know, the misconceptions of Baltimore and how does that make you feel and everything like, you know, something along those lines that person asked. And when I watched that documentary, it, it filled me with so much pride because um, while I'm not, I'm not a person who I don't give a shit. If you think your, your perception of Baltimore is from the wire. When I watch that documentary, I go, that's what Baltimore is. Yeah. You know, no matter how many stories make the headlines and, and go out of here and they, you hear about, a murder or this or the gun trace task force or whatever. When I see 
just beautiful black people, hilarious black people, yeah. you know, like real, real people in the city, you know, big, bigging up Baltimore, talking about what it's like living here, talking about Lexington Market, talking about downtown Baltimore, dancing, you know, just being real. This is a very real city, yeah. you know. There's a lot of snaky shit that happens in the city as well. It's a very, it's a very, because the city is such a, it's, it's a struggle to be here for a lot of people. So when somebody makes it, as much as there's people championing them, there's a lot of people that feel like they owe them something or it's a crab in the it's a crab in the barrel mentality for a lot of people. A lot of people that that should have made it out of Baltimore are not alive. Are not anymore. alive right now. Not just not just they didn't make it, they were taken too soon. Yeah. You know? And K, K- Swift is not uh one of those people. She was she was taken too soon, but it, it wasn't out of jealousy. Yeah. But K Swift is a shining example of when people love you in this city. They love you for yeah. sh- like for sure. You know what I mean. Like I I, I feel that with Tank, the 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 boxer Javante Davis. Like we, when we hold people up here, we hold them up. Yeah. But you can't get too cocky here as well. I want to also make that clear. Like this is a very it's a lot of jealous people here because it's a lot of it's a lot of people starving. Yeah. And when they see you doing well, they feel like oh we went to school together. You know we did this together. Whatever you you owe me. Put me on the team. Yeah. Make 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 me rich too. You know. So there's a lot of that, but there's this. There's also this city champions people in a in a really special way. And K Swift was a great example of that. I don't know anybody who didn't love K Swift music, you know, who didn't dance to K Swift music, you know. So um, rest in peace to K Swift. K Swift forever. Check out Dark City Behind the Beat on Netflix. It's a great documentary. Shout out to TT the artist. I mean, I think she did a very beautiful job of um, putting a love a love letter out to Baltimore and and showing the city in a way that the mainstream media doesn't tend to do. And uh, yeah, man, I still remember that day when she died, and just it was a weird day in school because kids love K Swift. Yeah, she was she was very much a person who could have could have got in that kind of bag where it's like I only DJ elite parties at clubs, twenty one and over, or whatever. But she would go to middle school parties, she would go to uh, um, pep rallies and DJ pep rallies. Like mm-hmm. she loved the kids, man. So. Um, very reminiscent of like a Nipsey Hustle type of person. Like you, yeah. you want to give back, you know, and that's what it's all about. And it's sad that the city lost such a special energy, but she's kept alive in many ways. And hopefully the, this documentary will lead to a resurgence and people wanting to reach out to the youth, give the youth a place to go and a place to get their frustrations out and a place to be safe. And uh Yeah. Cause that's really missing in cities like Baltimore, as well as many cities along the uh, around the country. Like, you know, um, uh, this country really exploits black kids, man. Yeah. They expect them to come up with all the cool dances, all the cool slang, you know, whatever. Do all the TikTok dances, and then somebody else comes along, makes all the money off of it, and these kids just stay in the same situation that they're at. But they're being fed off of their creative energy is being leached on. Yep. You know, and all of that comes from the pain. It's the same thing with DMX when we talked about. It's like. Would DMX be DMX without the pain that he went through? Absolutely not. It just, it just he just wouldn't be. His his circumstances made him who he is. Would these kids be as you know cool and inspiring and funny and 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 the cool dances and everything without their culture and their society making them who they are? No. So you got to take the good with the bad, but you also got to give these kids the opportunity to be, to be able to profit off of their abilities as well. Yeah. 
And Kate Swift was a person who was doing that. She was putting people on the front on the front lines. She was big up in artists who were coming up, other club music DJs. She would she would play their mixes and give them spotlights and give them platforms. Yeah. That's what's required. You can't just go like, oh, that's cool. What are we saying now, Bay? All right, cool. I'm taking that from that, whoever, whatever kid said that first, or oh, what's this dance? Oh, now I do it and I make all the money. Now I'm on Jimmy Fallon doing the dance, but the yeah. kid who made the dance is getting no credit. Yeah. You know. So you gotta try to just gotta try to find a connect. You gotta try and find that connection. You gotta try to find a try to monetize whatever you're doing. Yeah. Like Akil Khan now he's on you. He got he has a YouTube channel. Absolutely. He's traveling the world playing basketball on yeah. basketball court and fucking people up. Absolutely. <laughs> but it takes an Akil Car to come back and let people know that that's an option. Yeah. Because some people just go like, I just make TikToks. I just do the dance. I just make Instagram videos yeah. and just whatever. But they need to know like. Yeah, but you can do this for a living. Yep. You don't need to just you need that guidance, but that's what I'm saying. They need the network. You need to find that right person that's going to help Absolutely. you. Absolutely. That's going to be in it for your best interest, not trying to use you, exploit use you. you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then leave oh. you out in the cold when the shit when the numbers go down or yeah. when they get whatever they need from yeah. you. Absolutely. Also, A One Chops was in in the documentary. I spoke. Mm. I spoke. We spoken about him. He was on Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, you know, he uh, drums, yeah. and you know, he's making a name for himself as well. Good. So hopefully, he is you know connected with the right people to let him know yep. how do you take this further and make make a way for yourself. Yeah. And so the city can champion him, and hopefully, he's staying safe out there because that's so. all the stuff that I previously said. You yeah. know. But uh, yeah, case with for everyone one more time and. What we're going to do is we're going to get into these good vibes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to play some K-Swift as a background music while we do that. That's right, folks. It's time for some good vibes. The world is full of, you know, just some, some turmoil right now. And, you know, we're trying to figure things out in this country and all around the world. But uh, here at this segment, we like to try to, you know, shed light on some beautiful positivity that, uh, you know, in the kindness of the human spirit. And so uh, I'm going to go and kick things off with that. We're going to do that with a little bit of K-Swift club mix in the background. Just, you know, just to keep the K-Swift forever moniker going strong. Um, so my good vibe story this week is actually a person who we've touched on before in the past um, uh, is a, a woman by the name of... Uh, uh, by Sh- her name is Shirley Rains. Uh, she is the creator of uh, Beauty to the Streets. She she uh, gives out makeovers to people who are uh, ho- um, homeless and living on the streets, and uh, um, among among other things. So their mission, Beauty to the Streets mission, you know, is created by Shirley Rains, and their mission is that they recognize the, that the lack of home does not mean a lack of humanity. Beauty to, the, Beauty to the Streets aims to serve the homeless by providing necessities along, alongside the things that make us feel inherently human. A hot shower, a hearty meal, uh, the hope of inducing feeling of looking in the mirror and loving what you see. Uh, they, said, they say we are building friendships based on equality and compassion. And this is and it is and it is this more than simply the hair and the makeup that brings beauty to the streets. So what they've done recently, they're starting to go viral for is Shirley Rains along with her team has taken some buckets mm. 
and turn them into uh, bathrooms for the homeless. Mm. So they take the buckets, they put these these lids on them that open up like toilet seats, okay, and put bags in them that once they finish, you know, relieving themselves, they can take the bag out, push the bag down into another bag, and then zip lock, mm. seal them, yeah. so that they can dispose of Trash. this yeah. uh, hygienically, so it doesn't leave a smell within these communities that these mm. people live within, yeah. you know. So uh, she 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 works predominantly and a lot on Skid Row. She's out in the West Coast. She works a lot on Skid Row. She's building communications and building. Uh, relationships with these people and she's doing a really tremendous thing and I thought that was just a beautiful thing because um, uh, like in, 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 a, in a San Francisco and places like that you there's a there's this tendency to demonize people where it's like oh that person shat on the street what an animal and it's like do you know how where in, else they supposed to go and exactly do you, but you do you know how much uh, you know how indignant it is and, and how low you must be and what a low point you must be in in your life to go just take the uh, shit on the street yeah you know, don't you think these people want to feel like a human being, use a toilet like a human being? Yeah. You know, like, you don't. You think they want to do that? They don't have anywhere else to go. It's the situation that they find themselves in. By, based on whatever situation got them there, that's the situation they find themselves in. So they have to use the bathroom that way. And uh, what Shirley's doing is she's trying to provide a, a, a way to make these people feel like humans and also a sanitary way for them to relieve themselves. Yeah. And so shout out to Shirley Rains and Beauty, Beauty to the Streets. Like I said, she does food drives. She does makeovers for people. She's raising money to do all kinds of things for people to just make them feel like humans. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just think that's a, beauty, a beautiful thing. And this, uh, this, these, these little portable bathrooms are just the next step in a long line of things that she's already done for her community. And I applaud Shirley Rains. Oh, that's expensive either. No, yeah, no. They're, they're like Home Depot buckets. And, you know, she's, she's like, and I will be back to give you guys more bags and everything like that to, to refill these up and, and, and all those types. So they can of just carry it with them? Yeah, what? or they, they can keep them at their camp. I think it's this, essentially the, oh, okay. the plan. Like gotcha. outside of their, you know, housing, set up their tents yeah, yeah. or whatever, they can have a, a little bathroom there. Mm. So I think shout out to Shirley Rains for just, you know, you know, putting her money where her mouth is, wanting to make a change. So she's being the change that she wants to see in society. Shout out to Shirley Rains. Yeah, man, that was a good story. I like that. Um, so my good vibe this story this week is when it comes to where babies come from, some tales of impending parenthood can be pretty far-fetched. Babies delivered via shark, I mean via stork, tots turning up under cabbage leaves, and infants arriving on the subway. But as hard as it might believe, it might be to believe the last one's true, at least in part. In August of 2000, Danny Stewart uh, was rushing to make dinner to make a dinner date with his partner Pete and was running late when he, when he spied a suspicious bundle on a New York subway uh, platform. Thinking at first it was just a doll, Stewart hurried on until something caught his eye. The doll wasn't a doll, a doll at all. It was a baby boy, oh, a wow. newborn with the remnants of an umbilical cord still attached. Oh, jeez. Yep. While cell phone technology wasn't, um, wasn't new, a couple of decades ago, it was still, um, it was still, like it was still new back then. Uh -huh. But a lot of people didn't have it, so Stuart was forced to seek out a payphone. That was that was in two thousand. It's like it's, for me thinking like people don't have cell phones. It's like it's like damn. But at one point we didn't. A lot of people didn't have cell phones at all. That's crazy. Not so, that long ago. So either. kids are like, yeah. what? Yeah, a payphone. Yeah, that's um, crazy. Yeah, so. Uh, by him not having that payphone, he had to go and find a payphone uh -huh. to call the police. He had to come back to check on the baby. Yeah. So he had to make a second trip, um, and then he had to call his partner. Then he had to go run back to the payphone again 
the car's partner, his partner came and met him down at the uh, at the train station. Uh-huh. And the police came and took the baby into their custody. He says, I remember I remember turning to Danny and saying to him on the sidewalk as the police car was driving away, you know, you were going to be connected to that baby in some way for the rest of your life. Mm. So Danny was like, what do you mean? I, I said, well, eventually this child is going to learn of a night he was found and he may want to find the person who discovered him, which is, you know, I, I think I would do that. Yeah. Probably. To thank that person. Absolutely. Maybe there's a way that he can find out where he ends up and sends a birthday gift every year on this date. So Stuart and Pete were both on their early thir- both in their early 30s and neither had any plans to start a family at the point. But fate had other ideas. While they didn't know it yet, the abandoned baby was soon to become a permanent fixture in their lives. So they end up um, adopting the baby. Yeah. Um, Danny was asked to attend a hearing and family court offering testimony on how he first found the infant. At the end of the procedure, the, the uh, judge shocked him by saying if he'd be interested in adopting the little boy, mm. um, he can. Um, he, sh- he, shocked, he shocked himself and Pete by saying yes. It was a decision that initially caused major, um, major changes in their relationship. The couple immense the situation almost broke them up, mm. but eventually Pete found himself committed to bringing home the baby as well. Yeah. Um, so in addition to having an authority to s- speed up the adoption process, Pete believes that the judge also showed keen insight that day. She said that all the babies needed a connection to, s- to somebody. And so when Danny was testifying in the courtroom about finding the baby in her mind, his most serious connection in the world was to Danny. So why not just ask him? Yeah. Pete told BBC. It was almost as simple as that. She saw a connection that was already made and had, um, hunch and had a hunch that it would be the right connection. The baby boy whom the couple named Kevin, in honor of stillborn, of stillborn sibling Pete's parents lost when he was a child, was given into their care just prior to the Christmas holiday. Now in 20, he's been with them ever since. Mm. So, this dude is 20 years old. Beautiful. Big, healthy yeah. child. <laughs> big as shit. So, I think that's that's, that's super dope, just man. Left. That's super just, dope. just abandoned so there's, there's a picture of them right there. It's him in the middle. Oh, wow. Yeah, so. Wow. Kind of strange. That's man. Uh, you know how that baby don't even know how terrifying he should be in in that situation. Yeah, just being left on the fucking subway. For sure, a newborn. That's that's like wild, new, 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 like new. Hours old. Yes, that's if if that. I don't even know how you live with yourself making a decision like that. Like you don't need, you don't know what's gonna happen to this baby. You just like you just be like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do this and leave it somewhere. That's wild, man. I'm glad she didn't like put the baby in the dumpster, nothing crazy like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Oh no, people have done some very awful. Yeah, I know. Stuff. That's why I'm saying. I'm glad maybe they made a decision to leave it where somebody can find this child and yeah. was like and need to help it for sure. So shout out to uh, Pete and uh, Stewart. Shout out to that. them. Absolutely. Um, like uh, uh, so uh, now before we get out of here, like I said, uh, we got a little heavy at the beginning, so um, I want to uh, shout out to Patreons really quick. Okay. And uh, so I'm going to start because I don't know exactly where I left off last time. I'm going to start with uh, I'm going to start with a shout out to Jennifer P. Shout out to you, Jennifer P. Thank you very much. You are a saint. We appreciate the support and we hope you continue to support us. If not, you know, that's cool, too. You're still great. Uh, let's, uh, up next, we got Megan W. Shout out to Megan W. Uh, looks like she's lounging in some kind of chair that you go see, uh, you know, your kids play soccer in. Okay. Shout out to you lounging. And thank you for the support. Up next, we got Darcy K. Uh, she's making a bicep muscle. Shout out to Darcy K. Maybe she's a power lifter of some kind. 
Shout out to you. Up next, we got Shelby. What's it gonna Shelby? Yeah, there we go. Something like that. Mm. Uh, um, that was terrible. Uh, yeah. Next, we got uh, Liza or Lisa. I'm gonna go Liza. Liza M. Shout out to you, Liza M. Thank you very much for the support. You're awesome. You're a godsend, and we appreciate you. Up next, we got Jackson W. Jackson, your hair is flowing. It's it, the locks. I'm digging it. Bouncing baby curls. Probably uses Garnier Fructis or something like that, you know, to yeah. take care of that, you know, moisture wicking, you know. Up next, we got Leandra E. Shout out to Leandra E. Thank you very much for the support. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, up next, we got April T. Shout out to April. Great month. Birthday month for me. Mm-hmm. Give it up for me. Birthday's right around the corner. Yep. April T. Shout out to you. Thank you for the support. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the kindness. There's anything else that you want to see specifically on the Patreon? Reach out to us. Let us know. Uh, and lastly, we got my boy Hector. My boy, <laughs> Hick, my boy Hector F. He's got his dog in his photo. He's got sunglasses on. This is a cool fool. Shout out to you, Hector. Much love and appreciation. Thank you for supporting the Patreon. Shout out to you. I'm gonna keep the yeah. That's the end of the, the end of the mix. I didn't play that's the perfect. yeah. It was perfect. Yeah, I was rushing through <laughs> trying to make because it's, it's a short it's a short song. Uh, Case with forever. Um, uh, before we get out of here, recommendations. Like I said, Dark City Beneath the Beat, incredible documentary. I loved it very much. I also watched a documentary on Netflix called Why Did You Kill Me? Um, hmm. This one is very interesting. Uh, this family basically loses a loved one and they catfish the killer what? in order to catch them. And mm. it is very fascinating. It's on Netflix? Very, uh-huh. It's very well done and very interesting. And, uh, yeah, I like that one a lot. And... Uh, Watch something on HBO Max. I'm in the middle of watching this thing called Persona. It's this documentary about personality tests okay. and what that has done to society and the way that people businesses use them to make pres- presumptions about people's personalities and if they'll be a good fit for their company mm. when it's all just kind of bullshit, the, yeah. pers- the personality test. Um, so, you know, yeah, those are three things I recommend. Fran, you got anything that you... Uh... Um, I'm watching 000. Great show. Uh, yeah, I love that. Watching that. I just started Snowfall. Just started it? Yeah. Oh, boy. Congratulations. Shout out to you. (laughs) Great fucking show. Yeah. Snowfall is the best show on television right now. Mm -hmm. And I think, depending on how the next season goes, because this season four is about to end. It's one episode left. And they have have re-up for the next season. I got to catch up. They re-up for season five. Season five is coming. Depending on how season five goes... I'm just brace myself. I think Snowfall has the potential to be better than Breaking Bad. Mm. All right, guys. Uh, this has been another episode of uh, Affirmative Murder. I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. And, and we'll see you guys next week. Peace.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 